Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah v'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, v'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufiyam ka b'tisrael, v'niye anaknu v'zaetzeinu v'zaetzeiyam ka b'tisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka v'elom de Torateka lishma. Baruch ata Aronai Hamlame Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Haba Bishem Aronai Hakadosh Baruchu. Please send Mashiach now. Like to welcome you to the Seis Naso, the Naso PSI, the Please Source It edition of the episode that corresponds to Parsha Naso. Well, this is. Interesting, because we just finished Shavuot, right? And now, now what? There's so much to shuva that needs to be made that it ain't even funny. So, there's so much that I wanted to do in this podcast to get everything all organized, but, you know, sometimes you just gotta let it loose. So, what I want to speak to on Say It's Not So is about how we are using the Torah. Because one of the things that we have to realize is that whatever Hashem downloaded to us and during Shabbat and from the Shabbat that followed, that we it's now in our hands and our responsibility to express these things. You know, when we reaffirmed our commitment to Torah, which is what we did at Shabbat, Bezrat Hashem, that uh, we need to understand that you know, we, we have to live up to that now. And that's kind of an interesting thing because, you know, sometimes that doesn't seem like what we think it is. And what do I mean by that? I mean, there are some things that we have to realize is actually a mitzvah, but we don't ever really see it as, you know, what it is. Like for one of the things... I was hanging out with Ishmael Kama, a.k.a. Zake and Rayford, the Shomer version of War Machine. And we were talking about the fact we're making trips to the grocery store. We're going to Costco, and then we're going to Tom Thumb, and then we're, like, doing all these round trips so that we can keep the food cold and everything like that. Obviously, we can use coolers, but Costco is close to our house, so it's just like, yeah, let's just do that. So we're both hanging out, right? You know, both of the Iron Man just chilling. So I'm like, yeah, this is great. You know, and he's like, no, 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 don't let me be a burden to you and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, er, hold up. You know, I didn't hit the brakes or anything I should have. But what I said was, I think it's really amazing that we're fi- fulfilling so many mitzvot right now. So we shouldn't really ever apologize for fulfilling commandments. You know, like, should you really apologize for lighting the candles, ladies? I mean, come on. Like, is that really a thing? Oh, I'm so sorry. I just brought so much Kedusha down to my household. Like, I bless my husband and I bless my children. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Like, no. Don't ever be sorry to do a mitzvah. So I'm like, Zakin, like, do you realize we're toiling in Torah right now? Like, this is at least two Torah portions. This is Parsha Shemini and Parsha Kedoshim all at the same time. Like, loving your neighbors, you love yourself, because, like, you and I are both going grocery shopping together. I'm helping you carry groceries. You know, we're talking to people, being nice, trying to be, you know, good examples of light in the world, because we're buying kosher food. 
which is Parsha Shemini. Hashem tells us to eat kosher. And it's just kind of like, all right. So that was just like so amazing because sometimes you just feel like, oh, I didn't even read a thing in the Torah today. Or I didn't read a thing in the Torah this week. I know. Whew, terrible, right? But sometimes that happens. Sometimes you feel like, oh my gosh, if it wasn't for Shabbat, I don't even know if I would pick up my books, you know, and that's just reality. But the thing is, yes, you can make time to cut out, you know, and be like, look, I will pick up my books, you know, and yeah, that's what we got to do. But just remember Shabbat's there, you know, just like a good neighbor, Shabbat is always there, you know, kind of thing. No, no offense to Allstate, but uh, the real insurance is Shabbat. But anyway, um, just wanted to throw that out there because, you know, we have to really transform what the definition is of Torah observance. It's not just because you read a lot of books and because you have a lot of knowledge. That means you're super observant and you're great and everybody else is peons. No, there are no such things as peons in the Torah. Did you know that? I don't know if anybody knew that, but I think think it should be just a Selah moment because at least in our community, we've had people that say, I can't believe our synagogue has people on such low levels and da 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 and they, sh- they need to get their act together and like, you know, we need to, we need to be further along than we are and why are we still, why don't we have such developed halakha and why don't we have such developed curriculum and how come people don't know all this stuff that they need to know how many years have they been here so that's happened in the past all those different uh very biting comments very uh serpent-like bites because yes those are the bites of the serpent anytime you have yourself talking like that thinking like that feeling that in your heart that is called the serpent so the same thing that the Nakash, the serpent, did to Hava at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's exactly what that is. So, uh, you know, you have to kind of just step back for a minute and be like, what is the deal? You know, you think of things like the Lulav, you think of things like the pomegranate, you think of things like the Ketorit, you know, the incense spices. Each one of those different uh, subjects that I just dropped right there, those all teach us that we are all, as Yisrael, we're all considered to be a chad. No matter how much Torah you know or how little Torah you know, no matter how observant you are or no matter how least observant you are. If you're in Torah, if you're aimed at the Shabbat, if you're aimed at the Shema, you know, okay, the rest is up to you trying to figure that out. Like, you need to figure out where where are you and Hashem at in your relationship? Because ultimately, that's what it really boils down to. It's not a negligence of information or status or anything like that. It's actually a negligence of your intimacy with Hashem. So, when you what when you might think of having okay these thoughts or kind of seeing these disappointments one of the things i wanted to be mindful of as i came into this podcast is to say may we all forgive people for who they are not 
because everyone is not going to be up to our expectations of them. You know, we we might think, oh, so-and-so is in a leadership role. Obviously, he's going to be like super loving and super attentive, and it's going to be like great. And every time I talk to him, I'm going to feel like I just had an encounter with Hashem and the Holy of Holies. And it's like, wow, that was a struggle talking to my leader there, you know? Oh, man, like... I was expecting something a little more nice or something a little more gentle or something a little bit more direct or, you know, give me the answer, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, no, who, who says that they have to be like that? We do. We're the ones who say that. Forgiving people for who they're not. We just have to do that. And, we have to always think, where are these things coming from? Where are our thoughts coming from? Where are these emotions coming from? What's the root of them? You know, we we want people to be perfect. We want people to meet expectations. We want to feel comfortable. We want to feel secure. But again, that's a relationship between Hashem and the other person. Whether it be a leader, whether it be a peer, whether it be your student, whether it be you know, family members, you know, all these different dynamics of relationships that we have. We have to remember that the other person has a relationship with Hashem, Bezrat Hashem, and that, you know, they are working those things out with Hashem, and we we should be the people who are supportive of that. Okay, hey, you're you're not there, you know, where I thought you should be, which, you know, again, is a moment for us to make teshuva, you know, to, to think you're not where I think you should be. So I'm upset with you right now. It's just kind of like, who said that you were God? And we have to remember that, you know, so that's a teshuva moment. I'm sorry, Hashem, for thinking your creation needs to do exactly what I want them to do, you know. And, and again, so... Supporting people as they're working things out in their relationship with Hashem is super importante. So as I was thinking about that, like forgiving people who they're not for who they're not, and just remembering there's no such things as really, you know, other people are beneath me or I've surpassed and all that kind of stuff. Second thing that you have to know about any of these um, particular points is, or the next thing, I shouldn't say the second thing, because there's a long list here, but I don't plan to go through all of it unless it just happens, is that if you think you ever surpass anyone, especially a person who mentors you and teaches you and who you subscribe to their teachings and leadership, uh, if you think you surpass them, you're acting like a Roman or Greek or Persian or a Babylonian, or an Egyptian, or an Amalekite, or uh, a Savian. Yeah, I just made that up. Like a like a descendant of Asaph. Or even worse, you're acting like the Nachash. Because who is the one that said, "I will be greater than the Most High"? Yeah, the one who wanted the throne of Hashem and wanted to be surpassing in greatness to him. If you really look at the lineage of those who humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God, who embraced the yoke of Torah, Kabbalat Ol, accepting upon themselves the yoke of the kingdom, 
you know, seeking first Malkut to be Kabbalistic with it. Uh, yeah, no one ever thought about being better than the previous person. They just thought about, okay, how can I take what I learned and perpetuate it and to be my own person? Because that's the next thing I want to say is that we have to be comfortable in our own skin, being our own person. What What is it that Hashem gave you during Shabbat? Think about that for a second. What What did Hashem expand you in? Like, open up the tent pegs a little bit, push out the tent corners. You know, like make your tent a little bigger. What What did What expansion program did Hashem hook you up with on Shabbat? Because you're responsible to bring it now. This is from Orot HaTorah, uh, a.k.a. a collection of Rav Cook's thoughts on the Torah study, discussing philosophical matters, okay? And it's a book that also contains a number of practical lessons on studying Torah. Orot HaTorah, okay? That's the source. And I shout out Dr. Sakal. Loading it up on this. He dropped this off with me. So, uh, boom. This was seven things, uh, seven tips for success in Torah study. It was a Shavuot little special drop. So, I want to read number seven because this really speaks to what I've been talking about. That each person should engage in his own field. In the occupation where one feels most adept, this principle is especially true. This principle is especially true with regard to Torah study, even though circumstances may make it difficult to keep to the area that interests you. You should be resolute and not abandon the particular area of study that cultivates your spirit. I.e., what makes you really want to fire up and throw chairs and just hulk out and just run around screaming and what just makes you just lose your mind you just turn into blue screen wax you know like i don't even know what's going on like what essence what aspect of the torah does that to you you are obligated to pursue that me obviously is gematria and obviously is midrash i mean come on man like i was in sanhedrin 93a with a few other Avengers. Uh, this past Shabbat, and we were reading about the story of King Ahav and King Zedekiah, who were thrown in the furnace with Yehoshua, the one from Zechariah's writings that was standing before the uh, standing before Hashem with the accuser next to him, and he had his garments all scorched. Well, because he just got out of the furnace, which is the same one that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, aka Meshach, Sh- Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in. Uh, the three Babylonian boys. Same furnace that Abraham was thrown in. Yeah, we were reading all that. Sanhedrin 93a. So that was amazing. You know, and it's just like, I love, 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 love stuff like that. It was just killer, man. It was amazing. Or shall we say healer? It was healing. So, yeah, we're supposed to seek these things out. Right? So if you know what you're supposed to do, like, do it. 
And it's like, well, I'm not equipped to do. Well, guess what? I wasn't equipped to do gematria either. I came in this thing out of Christianity, bowing to crosses and eating triple cheeseburgers and uh, what's that thing? Calamari. Yeah, totally into that. Totally into Paul's letters and just, mm, you know, like I'm I'm killing it. You know, I'm legit. And then I find out I'm not legit. Go through conversion. Oh my gosh, I know nothing. I thought I knew more than my rabbi. Nope, don't know that either. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with Sar Shalom? Nope, nothing's wrong with Sar Shalom. Something's wrong with me, you know. Nine times out of ten, probably ten out of ten, uh, there's probably going to be something wrong with the person who thinks something's wrong with Sar Shalom. I mean, that's just been proven over and over again. Because as Sar Shalom, part of Lapid, uh, Lapid Legion, all of our HCOs, everybody, we're all children. None of us got this, okay? None of us are the whole bag of chips with the dip and the little ramekin that the dip comes in. None of us are that. And if we ever think we are, we're going to find ourselves right there on the outskirts of the clouds of glory where the snakes and scorpions are just chilling, ready to eat whoever falls out of the cloud. A.K.A. being outside the camp, not in a pure place. Outside the camp in a pure place, totally fine. Outside the camp in a not pure place, you're going to get eaten by snakes and scorpions that are the size of oak trees. Because, yeah, we read that in the Midrash Rabbah, Parsha Beshalak. I mean, it's ridiculous. What was outside the cloud, you don't want that. Okay? So, don't do it. Just stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua, and start from there. You know? Don't put tinfoil in the microwave. All right. So that's my new saying now. That means don't get crazy. Be be normal. Be sane. Stay humble. Okay? Uh, and then it goes on to say, again from Oro Tatora, says, Do not yield to social pressures to limit your study to those fields of Torah that society honors, such as Halakha or Talmud, if your interest lies in other areas of Torah. Some of y'all might just be like the most craziest people in the world, and you can read all the agotic stories and just bring ridiculous droshes. Like, so there's a serpent that came and devoured Moshe from the top of his body halfway down. And Zipporah was like, oh, I need to circumcise our son. Okay. And the serpent spits Moshe out. And then it's like, okay. When other sources say, oh, it was an angel that came that was supposed to kill Moshe. And then it was like, well, Zipporah was like, oh, I need to circumcise my son. Common denominator, something was saying, hey, we can't be dealing with uncircumcision here trying to be part of the redemption like if you think you can be a redeemer and not be circumcised mm, that's not going to work out very well no matter what medium is going to come take you out so there's that legends of the jews type stuff like what rabbi griffin Schlita read from uh legends of the jews about adam and hava eating the child of uh the the serpent like, uh, what, what was that? You know, like seriously. Okay. So, um, yeah. And you know, other people might be really into, you know, just straight up 
you know, uh, breaking stuff down, Uncle style, like straight up just dictionary etymology type stuff. You know, well, this is what the verse says, but don't read it like that. Read it like this. It's called homiletics because each word, like for instance, shouts out to the incredible Talmud Shlita. Uh, and I forgot to say Dr. Sa- Dr. Sakal Shlita and Zakin Milkama Shlita. All of y'all, Shlita, get you some help, and may you be blessed with long life. Amen. So, uh, he, like, okay, so back to Incredible Talmud. So he was saying, you know, Abarim Publications, that's that's like his go-to jam on, uh, like, looking up words. So here's one of the things I want to say about the, the whole terminology and the homiletics and the etymology stuff. Okay, so we were reading on Shabbat, like, with the study group or whatever, just... Uh, going through some stuff about uh, Ruth uh, and and going all the way back to Abraham and Lot because, you know, that's really where Ruth has her roots, pun intended, because Ruth, the way you say it in Hebrew, is root. Uh, but, yeah, Ruth is related to Terok because when you look up Terok etymology-wise, that Terok is related to Tor which is dove. And if you spell dove backwards, it's Ruth. So it was just like, wait, 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 wait a minute. You know, and uh, one of our other Avengers, whose name is Totak, he is the Shomer version of the X-Men character called Cannonball. So Shlita to Totak, um, may he have a long and blessed life. Amen. So he was sharing this whole thing about what's called Yibum, which is where the deceased uh, brother, you know, if he has a wife that uh, he wasn't able to uh, be fruitful and multiply with, then his nearest uh, kinsman, like whether it be his brother or, you know, the next of kin kind of go down the line, that person has to or gets the opportunity if they so choose to, uh, you know, take the deceased brother's wife or deceased kinsman's wife and they have a child together you know obviously they have to get married and all that stuff and then they have a child to perpetuate the name of the deceased and so obviously this practice is discontinued it's been discontinued for a long time but the principle of the matter is still there that we should always want to perpetuate the namesake of our deceased loved ones so he was bringing down a whole drop on that because the Yibum principle starts with Abraham because Abraham had a brother who was thrown into the furnace after him. And what ended up happening is that brother died because he thought, oh, Abraham made it out of the furnace. I can do it. And it was like, nope, no, you can't. And that was the brother called Haran. So there was Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran died in the furnace. So now you have Lot and Yiska, aka Sarah Imanu, our Sarah, our, our mother, uh, our, patri- our matriarch. She and Lot were, you know, they're related, and so Abraham took them. So he took Lot as basically a son. And by the way, Lot looked like Abraham. So we learned that in the journey through uh, Genesis uh, studies. So if you check that out with Sarshalom Synagogue, that's the source 
of that because we came across that and that was ridiculous. So then you got Sarah, basically his niece, and he takes upon Sarah as a wife. And through uh, Sarah, he perpetuates his brother's name. And that's Yitzhak. And then the other brother, Nahor, goes all the way down Batuel and uh, Rivka and Levon. So now when Rivka marries Yitzhak, now Haran's name is perpetuated through that because Yitzhak and Rivka have uh, Yaakov and Esau. So now Abraham and Nahor have both perpetuated the name of Haran who are all children of Terok. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a crazy, you know, you need a graph and, and map this stuff all out. And again, Totak is like, he's on it. Like just say the word Yeboom and break it down. And he's just going to turn into a, a, he's literally going to turn into a cannon and just fire away. And it's going to blow everything up. And you're going to be like, what in the world? So, um, but yeah, just stuff like that is just really amazing. So that's how I came across the Tarak thing. So anyway, back to my point about, you know, well, how did I get studied and equipped in the area of my expertise? Well, obviously, who talks about Gematria a lot? Baal HaTurim. So I became a student of the Baal HaTurim Humash. I night and day just killed it, you know, for that first year that I got it. And lots of things that I photograph memory, you know, bless be Hashem for giving me that opportunity and that ability. Uh, so I remember a lot of things out of there, you know, on occasion. And I'm like, I studied the way he would do his um, his insights, you know, because he would always do things like look at the first letter of each word. Look at the last letter of each word, you know, look at the first letter and the last letter of the verse, you know. Do the gematria of that of those letters. You know, there's the ordinal gematria. There is the standard gematria. You know, there's the im hakolel. I mean, all the different gematrias that I talked about during the RPM series. Uh, there's so many different ones. And so, and then again, if those letters at the beginning and the end of the verse spell a word, okay, you know, that's something too. And then he breaks down, you know, like how many times a word appears in the verse, how many times that word is used in the same spelling uh, in different contexts throughout the Tanakh, you know, and uh, you synthesize those different contexts and put them together and you find things. So again, you can look in the Bahatorium Humash and you can see these different things that I'm trying to explain. So anyway, so Gematria was my thing. So I'm like, well, Bahatorium will teach me, you know. And again, if you're really into etymology and like looking in the dictionaries and like what's the meaning of this word and how else can this word be pronounced and spelled? Because again, if you have yods and vobs in the middle of words, you know, you can add those or take them away and it still keeps the word the same, you know. And again, remember in the numerical value, yod is 10, vob is 6, you know, yod is the hand, the vob is the man, you know, and so what's going on with the hand or what's going on with the man in accordance with this word, you know, and things like that. You can, you can use those principles. So uncolos is super amazing with stuff like that. 
Or Hakeim would actually be also good on that too because he he goes phrase by phrase, and sometimes he gets into breaking things down on a word meaning basis. But Ankelos really does a good job on that. Um, then if you want to really do some Kabbalistic stuff, you know, get into um, I mean Ari's all. We're gonna we're gonna do a little drop on that Bezrat Hashem from. Uh, Apples from the Orchard. Shouts out to Dr. Sakal for letting me borrow this. Um, normally we don't do book borrowing, but, uh, you know, uh, him and I, we work stuff out sometimes. And Brugashem, I'm I'm grateful. So just going to leave it right there. Uh, and then, yeah, so, I mean, you know, you can look at different things like that. Kabbalistically, looking at the Sephiroth and how these different things apply and what are, what are what's the makeup of something, you know, and the... What's the more so level of the teaching here? So anyway, some of you may have graduated to that level, you know, and some of you are probably like, you're funny, Shomer man. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, one guy was like, all right, I'm ready to to take the next step from my humash. I have the art scroll humash and I follow along with the other day. I'm ready to do something. I'm ready to step up a little bit. Like, let's do let's do something, you know, and I'm like. All right, get you some Rashi in there. Get you some Or Hakaim, you know. Go ahead and, you know, get you a little Mishnah drop, you know, kind of thing. Just kind of expand out a little bit. So this is this is really cool that this is happening during Naso because Naso literally means like it's a burden. It's a weight. It's a heavy thing that you carry, you know. And not that it's hard or it's going to kill you or anything. Like people make the tour out to be like, Oh, the Torah is such a burden. Nobody can do it. As I've been telling so many different people that I've been uh, studying with over the past Shabbat and Shabbat, the only people who talk like that are idolaters. The only person who tells you, oh, the Torah is done away with. You don't have to deal with that yoke of bondage. Well, guess who's talking? An idolater. So we have to be mindful of our source, right? If someone tells you, oh, don't worry about keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath is now on Sunday. Who talks like that? Idolaters. Do you really want to take your lead and cue from an idolater? I mean, these are the the very people who proclaim Hashem, but yet substitute Him in a heartbeat. Because how are you going to proclaim that you love Hashem, but if Hashem tells you, hey, you should have no graven image, but yet you're like, psh. Man, I'm keeping my cross. I got this. You know, and yeah, Shimon Shlita up in Sarshalom, Tulsa, he just let it have it. You know, like the the drosh he gave for this past Shabbat, I posted it because I'm like, dude, people need to hear this. He he wasn't playing around. He was like, let's just call it what it is, people. The Xmas tree is the pole of Nimrod. It's 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 a Nimrod pole. If you know anything about Nimrod, that should freak you out. Because here people are cleaving themselves to this thing, going down underneath this thing. It's just, when you understand what Nimrod's pole is, and then you put the, the actions of what generally happens with the Xmas tree together, it's a very, very disturbing, sexually immoral, which means idolatrous, uh, thing that's going on. Like, do we really want to say people of God need to be doing things like that? And it's like, well, y'all kindled the menorah and you climb steps and climb up to it. 
You know, and it's just like, okay, let's think about this for a second. What's the what's the menorah really represent? I mean, do you, do you think that the menorah and the Nimrod pole have the same connotations, the same actions, the same gravity? Do we really think that? You know, uh, because one of the things we have to know is that um, if you're in the land of Israel this week, instead of studying Naso, you're studying Beha Aloteca. And there's a beautiful drop about Aharon lighting the menorah. Lighting the menorah versus decorating an Xmas tree and bowing down to it to get your presence is a whole different thing. Like, you can't even compare the two. Like, it's not the same at all. <laughs> so... Anyway, I know that's probably very, very biased because obviously I'm Torah observant and not into idolatry, but, you know, uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, not so anyway, we're supposed to be bearing these things, and there was a beautiful little drop, see if I can find it here, from the... Uh, This what's called the weekly parashah. It's, it's this beautiful book from Art Scroll. Looks like a coloring book. But they have a little thing they released for um for Bami Bar. Like they did the first first tour portion of Bami Bar in there. And I don't think I brought that in here with no, I did not bring it in here with me, but where did I put it? Did I take a picture of it? Goodness, if I didn't take a picture of it, I'm going to be so sad. But anyway, I did not take a picture of it. And even though I'm sad, I'm still going to share this point. That what it brought down in there was that if you look at Eliezer, the son of Aharon, he carried a lot of the stuff that his division was responsible for. Like, he didn't load up the wagons and put the different items on there. He carried it himself. And so, I just thought about that when it comes to Naso. that, you know, we, we, ha we have stuff that we're responsible to bear up under. You know, that our different roles and everything in community, we have to do those. And especially if you're a leader, you're going to carry a lot of things. And if you feel like I'm carrying too much and no one's grateful for this, again, that's a heart check because you're a leader. You're expected to do that by Hashem and not by other people. So if you feel like you're not getting appreciated from other people, then you're you're not focused on Hashem. Because if you understand why you're in your role, why do you have the different weights that you have to carry and that you have to bear up under? You know, then you'd be grateful for the opportunity to have that weight. You know, you have responsibilities because you're saving people's lives, you know. And yeah, you're not perfect at it, you know, but Hashem is the one who's giving you your sustenance. So it's not about, yeah, people need to be grateful for me doing what I'm doing, which, by the way, has caused a lot of leadership issues in the past in our community. And it's just kind of like, again, don't think like a Greek or a Roman or a Persian or an Egyptian. Okay. Mashiach Yeshua said it best. He says that the Gentiles, the idolaters, 
They lord their positions over one another. Should not be so with you. The greatest among you is going to be the one who's a servant. Think about a servant. Does a servant really come to his master and say, hey, can you thank me for doing what I did for you today? Like, seriously, I'm not going to even say please. I'm just saying you need to let you need to let me know I'm appreciated. Does that ever happen? And if it does happen, what happens to the servant? I'm just saying, like, think about that for a second. I put it this way. I never went up to my parents and go, you're welcome for me doing the dishes and taking out the trash and vacuuming the floor and cleaning the bathroom. Yeah, you're welcome. Like, I, boy, I tell you what, if I did that, I would have been out. And by the time I woke up, I would have needed a new haircut. Okay, like, so... We have to think about these things as being servants and, and, you know, say it's not so, you know, like this is what I do, which is interesting. Just, just on the say it's not so tip that, you know, just say it's not so like, this is what I do, you know, own who you are and say it's not so that you would get crazy, you know, and just be like, people need to bow to me or People need to get their attitudes right and people need to get their acts together. Hashem has all of us together and we're supposed to be bringing redemption into the world. No matter how much or how little we know or how much or how little we do, like we're all carrying this this light of Mashiach that we're, we're responsible for shining. So my little notation that I just made to myself was think about it. It's a heavy weight. It's responsibility. You serve positions are appointed. So don't force because it will happen. I thought about that in the, in the context of me becoming the goodbye. Like I didn't become the goodbye. Cause I asked by the way, I didn't even know I was the goodbye. It was just like thrown out one day. It was like, Hey, goodbye. And I'm like, hello. And and I'm like, why are you telling me goodbye when I say hello? Yeah, that, that's literally, that's how I think. Because I'm irony man, you know, like not just Iron Man, but irony man. Anyway, I love stuff like that. So it's like, hello, hello. I don't know why you say goodbye and I say hello. <clears throat> so anyway, I know. Crazy songs. I should not know songs like that. I know that's probably what you're thinking, but I do. I know all sorts of songs like it's the final countdown. By the way, that was my that was my celebration on the 40th ninth day of the Omer. It's like, why are we doing a countdown when it's a count up? But anyway, someone was excited for Shabbat. Oh, wasn't me though. Just kidding. It was me. I was super excited. I was like, somebody just take this kid, put him in a straitjacket, and put him in a padded room because. For the next 24 hours, he's just no good. He's just, he's of no earthly good. He's so heavenly minded right now. He's of no earthly good. That was me for Shavuot. Anyway, but yeah, so I'm like, okay, what's a goodbye? And like, what, what does that mean? Why are you calling me that? You know, uh, I actually wanted to be a rabbi. And then I was like, no, never mind. I, I thought I knew that I wanted to be. And I'm like, no, never mind. That's uh that's some heavy weight and that's on a whole nother level and I'm that's not even a place I should be, you know, like psh, go ahead, 
you be rabbi i'll be talmud you know like i'm great i'll just be over here blowing up stuff you can you can do that and if you need something and i can help you holler at your boy but other than that you know it's just kind of like all right so because a lot of people who want to be like rabbis or zakins and like yeah i can do better than they are trust me you can't the moment you say you can do better than them the moment you're really incriminating yourself and saying no actually i can't because you would you would just you not you wouldn't last for a minute you just wouldn't and i know how can i say that well yeah it's true i mean just try it i mean i don't i don't suggest you try it you know do you really ever tell people to stick forks in in electrical outlets like a metal fork just go ahead stick that fork in that outlet go ahead just test it out do we ever tell people that? No. So I would tell you, don't ever feel like, oh, I can do a better job than my teacher because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's lost his mind. He's smoking crack and I'm normal and he's weird. It's just like you're just incriminating yourself. Why does this uh, episode of this podcast seem more like sobriety and <laughs> and just brutal beat down than just sharing insights and being full of chesed that's probably probably because it is a beat down <laughs> okay so owning our space owning who we are owning up to what Hashem gave us to the point of the Aliyah day for the first reading of Naso from 5780 uh, officially as according to this podcast it went down this morning uh, Yom Rishon, the first day of the Shabbat, Sleeka, um, that Rabbi did probably the most epic drop of Shalom that you could po po possibly ever hear in your life. Like, Shalom just doesn't mean what you think it means, you know, and I just love that he went into that. And to that point, I want to shout out one of our brand new Avengers. Probably the newest one that we have, um, the Shomer version of Adam Warlock, that is, uh, is Adam Hamaor. And this is homeboy, homeboy, Mr. Brett. Okay, so uh, yeah, he uh, he's that character. He's the Shomer version of that guy. So he's, I like to call him Luminari. <laughs> And uh, if you know anything about uh, Adam Hamaor from the comics, like, you know, he's he's like crazy, like powerful, legit and all that kind of stuff. So this guy just decided to be like, you know, because him and I have been talking a few times and he hits me with the Shalom Aleichem and I hit him back with the Aleichem Shalom. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And I'm like, uh, yeah, so that's the proper response. And he's just like, oh, I had it. Okay. Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem Shalom. Okay, got it. You know, boom. Like, he just clicks right in. And I'm like, quit showing out. <laughs> At least pretend like you didn't know that and you needed a minute to learn it and, like, practice it. And he's like, no, I got it. Shalom Aleichem. Okay, Aleichem Shalom. So he's like, well, I was in the Mayum Loez on the Book of Ruth, and, you know, I came across the Shalom Aleichem, and I've been reading about it. And I'm like, what is wrong with you, man? We just had a conversation about this, and you're like, oh, yeah, I found it in my Ruth studies. Because, you know, it was Shavuot, and I was studying Ruth, you know, like a boss. And I'm like, 
okay. He didn't say like a boss. I said he was studying like a boss because, I mean, okay. Like if you're you're getting acquainted with everything, right? And you're like, yeah, Shavuot, study Ruth. I need commentary. What commentary? Mayam Loez. That's like, why? You're going to go get the most violent weapon in the artillery. Like, is that, that really what we do? Yes, that's what we do. Because why? We're Lapide Legion. Ain't playing around. Tired of it. Anyway, so here's what it says. This is on page 66 from the Mayam Loez Ruth. Uh, just ruthless. I'm just anyway, it's Ruth full. It's full of Ruth. But uh it says so you say Shalom Alekum and reply with Alekum Shalom so as to begin and end with Shalom, which commonly translates as peace, which is also one of God's names. So yes, if you're saying Shalom Alekum to people, you're greeting them in the name of the Lord. As it says in the writings of the apostles. Greet each other in the name of the Lord. It's like, ah, oh, shalom aleichem. Oh, aleichem shalom. How you doing? How you doing? You know, like that all goes down. So we're greeting each other in the name of the Lord. So it goes on to say another interpretation is that when Boaz saw a beautiful woman in the field, he feared that the Shekinah had left them. For God's presence cannot dwell where there is impropriety. He therefore inquired, is God with you? So... That's a little drop from there, which is kind of interesting to think that uh, he feared that the shaking had left because he saw Ruth in the field, you know. So it's just kind of this this moment of uh, where's the glory of God? Because this can't be right, you know. Obviously, the shaking didn't go anywhere, but. If you're looking at the interpretation, it seems like, okay, what happened? Because why is this very, very beautiful girl out here in the field? Is this a setup? What's going on? It's like, no, it's not a setup. And I I tell you, too, that later in Ruth, that uh, Boaz waking up in the middle of the night and Ruth is on his feet, just hair all out on his feet, just sleeping. And he's like, what in the world? You know, like, yeah, just think about it, guys. Beautiful woman. You're single and she's single and she's laying at your feet and that's a proposal act going on. You're like, uh, what? Shomer Nagia just got like thrown out the window and like, this is awkward. This is not supposed to be like, if we're going to get married, like we need to do this thing right. And it's like, well, I'm here to let you know, young man or uh mature man. Cause you know, Boaz was not quite the spring chicken. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Ruth was letting him know, hey, um, spread your cloak over me. We'll, like, let's enter into Kiddushin. Like, let's let's hit the hoopah. Like, you know, you're you're my kinsman redeemer. And Boaz is like, well, that's flattering to say the least. Uh, but I'm there's another person who's a closer kinsman redeemer, you know. And it's just kind of like, well, let's go. Let's deal with that. Okay, you, we'll stay here for tonight. Then you can leave in the morning. But like, So you're not like looking like a woman in the night and just, you know, up here hanging out with, with the most righteous man in the city. And then all of a sudden like leaving out like a, like a night worker. Like, so we're not going to do that. 
And then I'm going to give you more stuff, too, so you can take back to Naomi because, like, you're doing all this awesome stuff for your mother-in-law. But anyway, so that's a whole drop on uh, Mayam Loez with the whole Shalom Aleichem drop. So taking that to the Shalom drop that, you know, Rabbi Griffin brought down, a.k.a. Captain Yisrael, in the Kedushat Levi and Parsha Tetzaveh, which you can also find this in the Midrash Tankuma talking about the uh, the altar that's in the courtyard where we bring the Corbin out. That in the Mishkan you put they put dirt in it. Uh, I believe in the in the actual temple they put dirt in the altar too. And it was this whole thing of uh, back to the Mishkan though. There was this whole thing of like okay, so we're gonna have this copper bronze type altar that's made out of acacia wood. You're going to put dirt in it and you're going to put fire in it. And then like, we're supposed to keep the fire going and it's never supposed to go out. So what's the deal with that? Because should the fire get so hot, it's going to like warp the, the copper and the bronze and like, you know, it's going to implode on itself and there's going to be a, this is like a fire hazard. Like, what are we doing? There's already a giant menorah and a golden altar inside a tent, you know, that that's on fire. So if any of those things tip over, that's a fire hazard, you know, and then we got a shiny labor right outside of there. And then we go right to the outer altar. So like everything's just like on fire. It's super hot. And there's acacia wood that's overlaid in gold and copper and all this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, because the acacia wood was overlaid in gold for the golden altar. The menorah itself is completely gold, you know. And again, the the copper altar is, is made out of acacia wood, but it's overlaid in that. So it's just kind of like, all right, what's going on here? And this is where the drop of Ose Shalom Bim Romav, he who makes peace in his heights. Uh, that bracha is all about the shalom that is made between elements that technically uh, cancel each other out. So like if you take water and you put it on fire, fire technically should be extinguished if you get enough water put on it. Or if you take like ice and snow and like put that on fire, like the fire will, first of all, if you blow torch ice, you know, you, you'll, with fire, you'll melt the ice, right? But with Hashem making peace in his heights, he can take ice and fire, put them together and both of them stay completely their, their substance and then when they interact, like, I don't know, the plague of hail that happened in Mitzrayim, because that plague was fire inside of ice that rained down from the heavens. So therefore, when the hail came down, not only did the hail do damage, but once it cracked open, now you got a fire going. So now everything not only gets hail damage, but it also gets Gehenna damage as well, like fire damage you know so so yeah so this is like what in the world so anyway this is basically what i was talking about at the beginning of this podcast about how we all need to really be ourselves because you know some people are fire some people are ice but 
The ice doesn't need to melt down, turn into water, and extinguish the fire. Neither does the fire need to be blown on the ice to melt the ice, you know, and all that. But the fire and the ice can actually be combined together in effective use for the kingdom of Hashem. So someone else's gematria can work with somebody else's etymology, can work with somebody else's midrash, can work with somebody else's halakha, and you can have this beautiful unified force. And I know I should just go right to the Kedush Levi, but I want to say this one thing before I do that. That I was davening uh, for Shakarit, you know, leading the service. And I don't know if, if, if any people caught it, but right after the prayer for the Shemoni Esrei, there's a, a personal supplication prayer time. And I kind of lead out in the congregation with that and everybody can kind of do their own thing, you know, as they're listening to me or, you know, that I said, may Hashem bring about the conquest of Edom, like bring about an end of its conquest. So like basically Edom's uh, havoc and destruction and uh horribleness that they've wreaked on the world for thousands of years that that be brought to an end and that the inauguration of Hashem's kingdom be brought into the world which is nothing other than the alam haba which is what we're by the way spear tips of we we need to be the cause of the alam haba coming into the world and i know it's ultimately going to happen when mashiach gets here but we need to do our best to establish it now you know like Whatever we can do to bring that now, like, let's do that. And so it was just this this understanding of Edom, Rome, Christianity, this this current exile. It's, it's really, it's imploding upon itself. It's, everything's coming out that, you know, it's a lie. You know, Christianity, church, the theology of that, the Western mindset, it's all been a lie it's all been manipulation and distortion of truth it's been evil it's been wicked it's been idolatrous it's been far from the standards of Hashem now obviously Hashem has allowed it and has ordained that just like he ordained the Egyptian exile the Babylonian exile Persia media Greece and then obviously Rome and these exiles happened because we weren't obedient. We weren't doing what we were supposed to do. We could have been long done with exile life had we devoted ourselves to Hashem. Hashem destroyed the temple. Like we read that a few tour portions ago. Hashem was like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking the temple down. You know, like the temple is indestructible. You realize that, right? The temple should have never gotten destroyed. It's a supernatural building. Like, it's an edifice that is completely Shemaim stamped approved. Like, just like the body of Mashiach. Just because someone pierced Mashiach and put him on a, a crucifixion stake doesn't mean he was going to die. He died because he was supposed to. He was commanded to. Just like Moshe. Moshe died because he was commanded to. And that's crazy. That's some Vazoha Baraka ridiculousness. But I posted all that on Instagram years ago. At least two, three years ago now. But yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, 
death of Moses, what? You know, Moses didn't really die, what? You know, Yeshua didn't really die, what? You know, anyway, all that to say is what is important for us is to be unified in arms as we go forth. Like, whatever Hashem gave us, like, let's go ahead and activate. We need to come out of Shavuot, come out of our mikvahs, because people are getting mikvahed now. Baruch Hashem and a kosher mikvah. Uh, we got a lot of new creations that just got, you know, created last week and a lot of new name changes and all that kind of stuff. Now is the time to kick, punch, swing, bite, headbutt, you know, knee to the grill. Like all of this stuff needs to happen because, you know, it's time. It is now time to go forth. Edom is going to crumble. There are going to be people disenfranchised because when you find out the life you've been living is a lie. What? How do you feel? You know, you don't want, again, a Shimon of Sar Shalom Tulsa. Oh, my gosh, man. Loved it. He said, you don't be Torah tyrants. Don't be like that to people. No one is willing to listen to Torah if you're shoving it down their throat. You know, like, you can't do that. So, I was just like, wow, that that is so rich. That is like the most expensive glass of Gatorade that I could ever drink because Gatorade is like my favorite, you know, like obviously wine and, and whiskeys and stuff. Okay. So that level, you know, for, for the analogy purposes is what I'm getting at. But to me, a fine cold glass of Gatorade, mm, amazing spotless on point, you know, like amazing. I love it. Love it. You know, but it's like, what is wrong with you, Shomer man? Everything is wrong with me. We don't have time for that. But what you should know is we can't be toward tyrants. And when the disenfranchise movement just like goes exponentially off the scales, everyone in the P Legion, just know you're going to be vital and you better be ready. You know, because we have truth and we don't have it to be cool. We don't have it to be like, oh, I got a shul and I'm love this and I got my mishpaka and this is like my little, you know, my Shabbat getaway and from the world, you know, I get to disappear for 25 hours. It's great. You know, we don't have Torah because of that. We have Torah because we're supposed to go save the world. We save the world by davening. We save the world by studying Torah. We save the world by acts of kindness, you know. Go to the grocery store, buy kosher food. You know, when you're at your job and it's time for you to, you know, have your lunch or uh, they brought in catered food, continue to eat kosher. Say no thank you. Give the food away to somebody else, you know, that kind of stuff. Because I'm telling you, it's going to strike. It's really going to strike something because... I got people that I work with and they cater chicken express like it's like it's a fountain drink. I'm like, okay, chicken express again? Like, you're like, yeah, yeah, we're celebrating. Don't you want you want some? Did you get your did you get your portion? I'm like, no, thank you. Matter of fact, give my portion to so and so. And they're like, what? You turning down chicken express? And I'm like, yeah. I totally got lunch today. I'm good. Like, I don't need that. Uh, I can give it to somebody else besides it's not kosher and you know, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. The chicken express is not kosher. 
Okay, I'm not going to start a riot and be like, what's wrong with y'all pagans, Gentiles, none, kosher eating, crazy people. I, I don't do that. I don't stand on the tables and be like, everyone listen to me. Put the chicken down. This is foul play. Like, I don't ever do that. And I don't do that because I'm not chicken. I don't do that because I'm chicken. I do that because, I mean, I don't do that because it's just not, again, no tour tyrants. Ain't nobody got time for that. If you want to be a tour tyrant, you might as well get yourself a TV show and try to submit yourself to TBN or some, you know, I don't know. Where can you go? But not here. So anyway, everyone in the P Legion is going to be super vital. Osei Shalom Bim Ramav, you know, we're going to, I'm about to read this here because all of us, why we have what we have is because we're going to be needed and we need to operate at full capacity. Okay. Whatever that thing is that you have, it's not little. Okay. Your excellence at lighting candles or your excellence at tying zit your excellence at reading the Siddur, your excellence at reading from the Torah scroll, your excellence at playing the flute. Yeah, shouts out to Kav, Shlita. That's one of our Shama Avengers. She is, yeah, because we have Star Wars in our Avenger universe now. Uh, she is Rey from the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. So, yeah, that's that's Keela. So, shouts out to her. But anyway, she plays the flute. So, girl, play that flute. That is not a small thing that you're doing. And while we're at it, might as well point out Nagia, who is our Shummer version of Mantis, our violinist, Michaela. Uh, yeah, girl, you killed it. Okay. I was standing on the stage next to her, or right, let me, let me back up. I was standing on the platform because I'm grateful to Hashem for allowing me to be a Levite on the platform. It's really like, it's amazing, but I'm on the platform next to her. And we're playing, did Hashem You know, and like we're getting into this Shlomo Kot song and then on a little breakdown it's like This girl gonna hit the like on the violin and just like just going on these notes i was like what is happening like i wanted to start rapping it was so amazing anyway sometimes she like shows up to rehearsal and she's like all right i did my part and we're like hey michaela there's this other song that you may be familiar with and like it has a violin on it you should probably play just like freestyle to it She's like, um, you never gave me the sheet music. I didn't have time to practice. And it's like, but you're good. She's like, but I don't do that. <laughs> so we're working as a band to forgive her for who she's not. Because the girl, when she when she gets dialed into stuff, she's like, boom, on it. And so the balance is like, hey, we want you to play on every single song just just because we love you so much and you're legit. And it's like, well, violins don't really go on every song. And I just can't get up there and just jump on the violin and be like, look, I'm playing this song right now. It's like, okay, well, can you sing? It's like, oh my gosh. You know, and it's like, all right, all right, all right. Just want to let you know, we, we care about you. We like you a lot. You know, you should be using your talents for a shem and stuff. 
Cause, cause Kav didn't take it easy. She's like, Hey, Michaela, remember that, uh, parable of the talents that Yeshua talked about? I was like, dang, snap. You know, that was, that was brutal. I mean, when you got your former, you know, I mean, for your fellow, not former. I know it probably was former after that, but no, it wasn't. It was okay. Cause there's Shalom there. But anyway, after that, fellow bandmate back and forth silver civil war action going on it's just like man you know anyway so we have to use our talents whatever it is you know can you run slides can you run the microphone can you run set up the lights can you uh you know do something i don't know greet people at the door those are all huge 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 things and they're very very vital things so when you have that one thing that you're really good at and you feel like, well, that's the only thing I got, it's like, great. Because all the other stuff you can refine, you can fix, you can get better at. But that is like, boom, Hashem made you for that. So do it. You know, so I'm just kind of like, wow, you know, and I, I got to read from the Torah. You know, I had to read the Hebrew portion for the Torah portion this past week. And it was just like, oh, well, yeah, Matt's our substitute stand-in for reading from the Torah scroll. It's like, what kind of person is just going to be like, oh, yeah, you, the person's not here today. I guess I'll read from the Torah today. So, like, who does that? Me. <laughs> you know, and that's not something to brag or boast about, but it's like, that's what I do. Like, you know, in a very, like, that's, I can't apologize for... I, I try my best to do the the Hebrew, like for everything, you know, my, my family will tell you that they're like, yeah, Matt tries to do like everything in Hebrew, like just all the time, you know? So I stumble through it, get through it. You know, some things I'm like, Oh, I got that. I got it. I got it. Other things I'm like, boy, this is going to be a doozy, but here we go. You know, and I just run and jump, but yeah. So what is your thing? Get a shot, Levy. Finally, thirty minutes later. It's it or two hours later. There we go. Forgot about that meme. Okay, so it says, "Let us first deal with the question raised by most commentators, i.e., the reason why Moshe's name has not been mentioned in this Torah portion, because Moshe's name is not mentioned in Parshat Tetzave." Mishlei ten one. What does it say? Proverbs ten one. We read. Hacham Yismak of Ben, a wise son brings joy to his father. What precisely is this wisdom Shlomo speaks of in that verse? Furthermore, what is the nature of wisdom that Job speaks of in Job twenty-eight twenty-eight, where we read, "Here the awe of God is wisdom." We must remember that the creator created all the phenomena and all the parts of the universe, of his universe. And that when his creatures look at the world and realize that they themselves are totally powerless, they look at their own lives and are overcome by a feeling of awe for this creator. So we have to realize that we ourselves are totally powerless. And when we can do that, that's when we're going to be in awe of who Hashem is. 
Because it'd be like, man, I'm nothing, but yet all this is getting accomplished? Are you kidding me? And by the way, when you understand that you're nothing, that's when you will be able to cast your crown. You know, Ishpela Shlita and I were talking about this because it was like, yeah, we got to cast our crowns. You know, we got to bow before the king. And it's like, guess what? If you're haughty, if you're arrogant, if you think you're all that, chances are you're not even going to take your crown off, much less even bow. Because you think you're it. So you might as well make the golden calf at that point. Because when the Torah comes down, you ain't going to want it. I mean, you're you're it. You know, so you ain't casting your crown. You're like, Psh, I look good in this crown. So anyway, but you have to realize you're powerless. You have to realize that you're nothing. Well, I like to say this, you know, I'm living life low in competition with the slugs. You know, we all a bunch of bugs. If we think we ain't, then we own drugs. Okay, so like, it's like, okay. But yeah, but we're Hashem's children, obviously. But we can't get crazy, okay? We have to realize that we're we're nothing. We don't deserve what we have. And by the way, that's the biggest superpower that you can have is understanding you're not worthy. When you're not worthy, that's when you're ready. That's when you can be the most violent person ever for the kingdom of God and bringing forth his righteousness and his light into the world because you know you're not worthy of it and yet Hashem allows you to do it. He gives you success. He gives you victory. He supplies you supernaturally with the ability and everything that's needed for all the logistics that it takes. So it's just amazing. So anyway, so we can be in awe and Hashem with that. And it goes on to say they also realize, so there's a, there's a also to this. So not only are you going to be in awe of Hashem, it's going to, it also goes to say they realize the creator in his wisdom has created phenomena that are direct opposites of one another, such as fire and water, night and day, wind, which is air, and earth. When reflecting on this, they realize that even these opposites possess a common denominator. All the opposites possess a common denominator. So me, a Jew, you, a Jew, both of us very different, probably, I'm going to guess. Guess what? We emerge from a common denominator. Who is that? Oh, that's a shim. What is that? Oh, that's the Torah. So when reflecting on this, we realize that these opposites possess a common denominator. They emerge into existence as an expression of the will of the one and only creator. It follows that they should perceive themselves. They should perceive themselves as being part of one great whole. Like a body of many members much. Okay. I might be an arm. You're probably an arm. You know, I might be a foot. You're probably a leg. I'm maybe a toe. You're probably a finger. Okay. Somebody else is another part of the body. But guess what? We're not all the same body part. And in order for you to have a whole body, you got to have different body parts. So this is why the apostles wrote the way that they did to everybody to say, Hey, 
Lapid Legion of the first century. If we don't understand that we're many members of one body, we're going to have some issues. And furthermore, chaos is going to come into the world the less and less we are unified. But if we unify, we'll bring we'll bring shalom to the world. Us unifying is going to bring unity in creation. Creation is going to reflect what we do. This is why understanding Parsha Noach is amazing because creation itself became corrupt because mankind became corrupt. So yeah, that's that's a Selah for a second. And I got to plug in my little device here because it's like talking about being out of juice and whatnot. Okay, Brukashim, we are juiced up. All right, so anyway, so this is all going on, right? So, you know, we unify, we bring unity into creation and Brukashim. So going on to say, it follows that they should perceive themselves as being part of one great whole. The word Hain, as explained by Rashi in Bereshit 3.22, refers to man in the lower universe as a unique or as unique as you as God is unique in the higher universe. Okay, again, the word Hain could mean like then, behold, kind of like that, like a Hine. All right, so it says that, okay, that's in Genesis 3.22. So this refers to man in the lower universe as unique, just as God is unique in the higher universe. So in Greek, this is interesting, Kedushat Levi over here is like, let's look at the Greek for a moment. In Greek, the word for one and uniformity is also Hina, which is compared to Aruk or Arok. And it says, unity in our world is the result of the recognition that we all share the same root. We got to get down to the root of who we are. Which is kind of interesting because we say people, right? It's like, oh, people are so different from each other. And right there in that very statement is our root, that we're all people. We all need oxygen to breathe, you know, unless we're Superman. And then we, uh, you know, we all have to go to sleep at some point unless we're Superman. And then, uh, we all need to eat at some point. You get it. Yep. Unless we're Superman. And then we all like, you know, we all get hungry and stuff. Well, Superman has to eat. I'm just kidding. He probably doesn't need to eat, but yeah, we all have to eat. We all need to sleep. You know, we all have to breathe. You know, we can't fly yet. Yeah, yet. Can't teleport yet either. Working on that. So, yeah, I want to be first in line for the Iron Man suit when it's available. That'd be great. I'll be taking Zadaka for it for sure. <laughs> okay, I'm joking around. Half kidding. Kind of like half coffee, half creamer. Okay, so, but we're we're all human beings, Okay. If we all get cut, we bleed. If we all get, you know, too, like if we all eat too much, we get too full and it's like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? We feel miserable. You know, like we're, we have a unity. Like, it's just kind of like, so why can't you be your human self and be unified with the other human person 
so that each of you, what you're both good at, do it side by side. You know, this is why, like, the, the whole Avenger thing, even the end of uh, Rise of Skywalker, the Star Wars movie, like, was so cool because you got everybody, like, people are pilots, people are fighter jets, people are, you know, ground artillery, you know, and everybody's just doing what they do to take out the forces of darkness. Like, that's what we're called to right now. Because we haven't seen the redemption yet. And we haven't seen it because there hasn't been this. This hasn't been going on. But we got to do it. It's time. Don't let Shabbat be a waste. And it goes on to say, Unity in our world is the result of the recognition that we all share the same root. The fear inspired by this realization inspires our unity. Or at least it should. <laughs> Love it. The common goal of all God's creatures is to serve the creator. The well-known verse, Job 25, 2, he who makes peace in his lofty heights, may he make peace among us. That's from Job. The Ose Shalom Bim Romav, Hu Ya'ase Shalom Aleinu. Okay, that's from Job 25, 2. Don't you love how biblical our prayers are? All of our prayers that we pray from our Siddur are some scripture from the Tanakh. I mean, you're supposed to be praying the Bible, right? And it's just like, yeah, here's your Siddur. It's got everything all arranged like you need to say it. Just go ahead and just let it fly. Now, your heart's got to be in it, of course, but it's just saying, like, we're praying scripture. So that's amazing. So... This alludes to peace in the higher worlds being the result of the creatures in the world having realized they're all a part of the same root. Something that, alas, we on earth have far failed to realize. I need y'all to repeat after me. We have far failed to realize. And now let's go ahead and say, not anymore. Okay, for those of you who know anything about Inspector Clouseau, and it's like, Inspector Clouseau, that was a priceless Steinway. He throws it out the window, and he's like, not anymore. You know? <laughs> the, the Steinway was thrown out the window, and then the person was like, no, that was a priceless Steinway. Anyway, it's not anymore. So, the far failing to realize... That we have a same route that ends yesterday. All right, Lapi Legion, come on now. It says that, at, or at least we have failed to let our actions reflect that realization. Our sages and Bami Bar Rabbah twelve seven. What they say? What our sages say? Our sages. When commenting on this verse says that the archangel Michael is made of snow, whereas the archangel Gabriel is made of fire. In spite of this, neither angel causes any harm to his colleague or celestial counterpart. That, my friends, is Shalom. That is what the P Legion is. That is what the Avengers are. We don't harm each other. We are very, very different, and we have very, very different makeups. But guess what? 
Our root is in serving Hashem. So, yeah, maybe not everyone has Shabbat toilet paper. Because that's a thing. But guess what? We're all keeping Shabbat, though. It's like, well, you, you'll be violating one of the 39 labors if you're tearing toilet paper or, or paper towels. Well, that is not really here nor there in the greater scheme of things. Because why? Because that's a halakhic stringency that you're welcome to take upon yourself. You know, and and again, when you get into these different variances of stringencies, you need to know what is actually the point. What is the main point? Why is it that you don't tear toilet on? Why, why don't you tear toilet paper on Shabbat? We're not supposed to tear. Why are we not supposed to tear? Because that, like, if you get down to the root of that, then you can talk. You know, why, why, why are we paying tithes on Shabbat? Like, you know, like we're not supposed to be handling money. Well, guess what? Why aren't you supposed to be handling money? Because you shouldn't buy anything. <laughs> okay. If you're going to bring your tithe to the Zadaka box, you know, or you're going to bring in some Zadaka. Okay. Are you really going to use that to buy something on Shabbat? Because if, if first of all, if it's Zadaka or tithe money, uh, that's not yours. It, it doesn't belong to you. So if you used it to steal or which would be buying something, cause you'd be taking what belongs to Hashem and giving it to somebody else that shouldn't be open by the way. Cause if you're a shop and you're not like people can come buy stuff from you in a Shabbat, it's like, well, you should not be open, sir. You should not be working. Neither you nor your maid servants, nor your animals, nor the servants in your household, nor uh, the stranger that is within your gates. None of that should be going down. So, but anyway, you got to get down to the to the root of all the stringencies because you can realize that okay, when we go grocery shopping together, <clears throat> some people want to make sure that they're dairy products are in their own bags and their meat products are in their own bags so though the packages are closed and it's like yeah i know i put my chicken in the ice cream bag but the ice cream is frozen solid the chicken's in its own package okay for some people that's okay but some people they're not okay with that they please let me put my chicken in a separate bag you keep your ice cream in that bag you know it's like Okay, why is that a di a dissension factor? Why is that a factor to be split up and argue about? There's no need to argue. There's an extra bag. Put the chicken in the extra bag. The ice cream's in the other bag. You both don't have the same perspective on that. Totally fine. Just don't eat chicken and ice cream together and we're good. You know, unless it's par of ice cream, which exists. But if you know you bought dairy ice cream, don't eat the dairy ice cream after you had your chicken. Eat your dairy ice cream first. Give yourself time for that to process out according to Halakha. And then eat your chicken. Right? So, all these different things, you know, just really taken into account. And um, we can be unified even though all of us are very, very different. So, that's the Osei Shalom Bim Romav drop. And then to go into just kind of my say it's not so, uh, this is one thing from Dr. Sakal and what I like to call the Chronicles of Get You Some. 
he's doing a commentary on Chronicles right now. So again, I told you before we did Job. So now we're in Chronicles and in Chronicles, uh, Hebrew, by the way, is a uh, Divre Hayamim. So if you look at that Divre Hayamim, that's actually Chronicles. And so they say first Chronicles is Divre Hayamim Aleph. Second Chronicles is Divre Hayamim Bet. And so that's actually the final book of the Tanakh. If you have an actual Tanakh, you flip all the way to the back of it. It actually ends with Chronicles. It doesn't end with Malachi. When the nations wanted to order the Bible, you know, and, and do like an Old Testament, New Testament thing, they were like, yeah, Genesis through Malachi, Matthew through Revelation. Got it. And it's like, well, actually a Tanakh has a different arrangement and the verses are delineated different. So like, you're like, yeah, I'm in, you know, Psalms, so-and-so, so-and-so. And it's like, uh, that doesn't say that. It's like, well, you got to count the first verse. You got the first verse, which is normally a title in the English Bible. It's like, that's actually a verse. <laughs> okay. Don't leave anything out <clears throat> anyway. So that's a extra rabbi trail for y'all. But it goes on to say the revelation of strict of the strict hand of God's judgment brought David to a state of deep awe and fear. He repented of his error. He made teshuva for his error. And when he finally brought the ark from the house of Ovid Edom, who was a Levite, by the way, Yes, the Ovid Edom, which is interesting because that's slave of Edom, like a slave of Esau, slave of Rome. That person was a Levite. And it's kind of like, what? Which goes to the point that Obadiah, you know, he, he's in the lineage of Esau, so he would technically be an Edomite. And Obadiah is Oved Yah, servant of Hashem. So this whole thing about coming from Edom, it's not, not a new thing. And even right here in the name of a person who kept the ark, you know, like they have the name Edom in them and the name servant. And they ended up they're They're actually a Levite. So what am I getting at? There's no excuse. And while I'm on this track of no excuse that, um, you know, Rabbi Griffin brought down in the Shabbat drosh for Shavuot this week uh, that Hashem offered the Torah to all the nations of the world. The only ones who accepted it, all the nations of the world, and the only ones who accepted it was the Jewish nation with the Nasevi Nishma. Yishmael was offered it, and they're like, what's in it? No stealing? Okay. To which Shimon of Sarshalom Tosa brought down in his r ridiculous drosh, uh, Hamas is in the descendancy of Ishmael, you know, the Muslim Islam and all that. And Hamas means robbery. And the Ishmaelites, they want to accept the Torah because they said, what's in it? Oh, don't steal. Psh, can't do it. I'm out. I'm out. You know? So anyway, that was, that was crazy. Um, Edom, they're like, oh yeah, can't do it. Can't, can't do bloodshed. No murdering? Oh, man, come on, man. Taking away my fun. I can't do that. Uh, and then Moab? Oh, can't do adultery? Oh, come on, man. 
You killing me, Smalls. I need my illicit relationships. Jewish people were like, Psh, not saving Ishmael. We don't even know what's in it. We'll do it. It's like, well, did you know don't make a gold don't make a golden calf is also in there? It's under the uh no no graven images, no other gods before me. Remember like one of the first things Hashem told us, I'm the one who took you out of Egypt. Nothing of creation took you out of Egypt. So to to create something and say this is the God who brought you out of Egypt, okay, that that's gonna be violation number one. But what's the difference? Because Ishpela brought this up so beautifully. He was like, the Torah shows you your defect. Like, what's wrong? Like, what's your, what's the one thing that you struggle with? The Torah shows you that. You know? But it's on us to say, yes. You know, like the basketball players and the, well, when we used to watch basketball games. <laughs> I guess we're going to be watching basketball games again because apparently COVID-19 is over. I don't know. But anyway, uh, when the basketball player fouls the other player and the ref like, you know, foul, you know, and it's like, person's got to go shoot free throws or whatever. Like the, the basketball player, if he's honest, he raised, that was me, you know, my bad. That's really what we have to do with Torah. We have to say my bad. We have to confess. The Torah is for people who confess and for people who know that they're not self-righteous and all pious and whatnot. And by the way, did you know that that confession is actually what makes you pious? You ever heard of a Baal Teshuvah, a.k.a. Baal Shuvah? That person is called a Zodic. The Baal Shuvah is called a Zodic. And it says that the righteous Zadik can't even stand in the place of a Baal Shuva because the righteous persons, they just, you know, they're perfect. They've been doing, they got it. They're like, I'm focused. I'm repelling sin. You know, I'm keeping my mind focused on Hashem. I'm mikvahing. I'm, you know, renewing myself every day, re recommitting myself to Torah, you know. But the Baal Shuva was like, yeah, man, I failed. I went completely after my own desires. I completely acted like an idolater. I was Gentile. Boy, I got that, you know. I won the gold medal in being a Gentile. But yet, they stopped what they were doing. They dropped it. And they said, yep, Hashem, I'm guilty. I, I did not. I did that, and I was not. that was not what I was supposed to be doing. I did not obey you. But I'm here now. I want to I wanna make an honest effort to do it. And so the person does it and oh goodness, they fail. They barely even got off the ground. But guess what? Person goes, I, yeah, I don't want to do this. So I'm sorry, Hashem. I confess. I want to repent. Help me repent. And then they take like one step and they're like, oh wow. And then they fail again. And it's like, okay, yep, Hashem. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> you know, you go from like, you're frustrated because you're trying to do good. And then you're like, man, this is just hopeless. Like, like, I can't do this. This is, this is embarrassing. Like, I don't have time for this right now. I'd rather just be successful in being wicked because that's way easier than falling and falling and falling and like, oh, you said you're sorry and oh, you did it again. Oh, you failed again. Oh my gosh. Like, just give up already. 
Nope. That's not what a Balshuva does. That's not what the P Legion does. That's not what a Naseve Nishma does. You you fail as many times as it takes until you succeed. What is it the the whole light bulb thing? You know, I didn't I didn't uh I didn't fail in my previous attempts at creating the light bulb, you know? I just uh what I learned all these different ways about how not to make a light bulb, you know? Like I butchered that obviously, but the concept is there. That don't look at these failures as oh my gosh, you're hopeless, give up. Look at it as like Okay, don't do it that way. All right, what else can I do? Okay, nope, that did, that way didn't work. Okay, what else? Nope, okay, that didn't work. Naseve Nishma. Okay, nope, didn't work. All right, let me try it again. And you just keep doing it. Because what actually ends up happening, if you're, if you're paying attention, you get better and better. You sin less. Not that you're sin less. Okay? You're not sinless, but you sin less. You really do. You really break the Torah less. The more you repent and confess. And that's the other part of say it's not so. Because in chapter 5 it has the whole thing about repenting. And the confession that has to be made. And the restitution that's paid. That's that's our teshuva. And again I did the healing, repentance, salvation podcast last week. If you want to check that one out. This is just kind of tying to that. But uh, King David does the same thing. So, And our chronicles drop here. But yeah, just to point out. You know, the Torah is going to show us what we're going to struggle with. It's like, it's going to highlight. It's going to be in big neon lights. You're going to be like, oh, can we change the color? If, at least if we're going to illuminate this, can we change the color? Because it's something like my favorite color. You know, it's like, bam. All right. Well, I don't, I still don't like looking at it, but at least that's my favorite color. Here we go. You know, and that's, that's the mentality we have to take on, you know. And as Ishpela also said, that Edom is not going to go down without a fight. Edom could probably be crumbling for hundreds of years and redemption coming. But they're not going to go down without a fight, you know. Which means that the Edom that's within us, because it is, you know, that's why we want to violate the Torah so much. Because part of Edom is in us. We want exile on some level. And that's what we got to get out. You know, we got to get that out. You know, work it out with fear and trembling. So, yeah, so that's got to come out of us, you know. So anyway, this back to Divrei Hayamim. And this is from chapter 13, by the way, verse 12 and 13. It says, uh, so, yeah, so the house of Obed-Edom was housed in the ark. So David, he repented of his error. So he finally went back to Obed-Edom to get that ark and bring it to Jerusalem, As described in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, David publicly confessed that he had been wrong in allowing the ark to be transported on a wagon rather than on the shoulders of the Levites. So, that was a beautiful drop that Dr. Sakal gave because when we understand what we're confessing and how the teshuva that follows should be, that we don't perform the same action. So with David Hamelech making shuva, he didn't go back with a different wagon. He went back with, okay, how am I supposed to approach this? Oh yeah, I need some Levites that can put the ark on their shoulders. Okay. Let's go get those guys. All right, now let's go get the ark. 
so the, he had to study what what do I do for this and okay let's let's go get the people that I need to have okay let's mobilize let's go get it uh, and then another thing here in um, chapter 26 verse 24 there's a gentleman by the name of Shevuel who is the son of Gershon who is the son of Moshe. You know, we don't hear a lot about Moshe's descendants other than bad stuff because there was another one of Moshe's descendants, I believe, because it was Gershom and, man, who was Moshe's children? Moshe's sons. Stand by. Gershom and... Come on now. I know Jeopardy theme song, right? It's like, did he go away? What happened? Oh, Eliezer. Got it. Okay. So Gershom and Eliezer, two sons of Moshe... This is all in uh, Exodus chapter 2. So let me, let's go to Exodus chapter 2. Because, I mean, I don't want to just have source stuff out. This is the Please Source It series. So, you now I might want to put everything in its proper term. Okay, so... twenty Verse 21. Moshe was content to stay with the man, i.e. Uh, Yitro... It says later he gave Mo Moshe his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son named him Gershon, saying, I have been an outsider in a foreign land. Now it came about over the course of those many days the king of Egypt died. B'nai Israel groaned because they were in slavery. They cried, and their cry from slavery went up to God. God heard their sobbing and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and saw B'nai Israel, and he was concerned about them. Okay. So we hear about Gershom there. So now let's get the coordinates on Eliezer. There it is. Shemot 18, verse 4. Yep. And the name of the other was Eliezer, because he said, For my father's God is my help, and delivered me from the sword of Paro. Whole beautiful drop on being delivered from the sword of Paro, because there's a whole drop about when Moshe fled from Egypt. He was in a trial where he was about to get beheaded and executed by an executioner, and he kept throwing the sword down on Moshe's neck, and Moshe's neck turned into ivory. And Legends of the Jews has the most incredible drop on that. So Moshe fleeing, uh, and then the Kehot Humash gets gets it some in there. So it talks about a whole thing with the executioner not being able to decapitate Moshe. So there's there's a thing on that. But anyway, two sons of Moshe there, Eliezer and Gershon. So Gershom over here has a descendant way down the line named Shavuel. 
and he was the ruler over the treasures. And according to rabbinic tradition, Shavuel is identical with Yohanatan, the Levite who ministered before Micah's idol from Judges chapter 17 through 18. It says he was called Shavuel because he returned to God with all his heart. Melech David saw that he had a very great affliction or very great affection for money and appointed him over the temple treasuries. Baba comma 110a. Again, Dr. Sakal bringing this out of the Chronicles to get you some. I wanted to bring that up because number one, the guy made Teshuva, which is amazing, even after all his idol worshiping and bowing down to Mika's idol. But David saw the guy was like, mm, he, he was really in tune with money. And like, he's a, he's a Balshuva. Like he's all about that repentance life. I'm gonna put him in charge of the money. Like he can, he can rock that, you know, he got, he got what it takes to rock the mic. Right. You know? So let me, let me go ahead and give him the money job. You know, again, I, I speak to what are you good at? Cause that's what you're going to end up doing. So your focus is not saying, hey, let me do what I'm really good at doing. Your focus is how can I perfect what I'm good at doing? You know, I picked up podcasting. It's been four, maybe five years now. And I started off rough. I'm talking it was like silence, like low voice, very timid, you know, and I tried, you know, it, it's OK. It's 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 all right, you know, but it's just kind of like. Dude, put some excitement in your voice. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have been a critique someone gave me because cause obviously I'm very excited. <laughs> Way too excited sometimes on these podcasts. But yeah, I just picked it up, you know, and and all of a sudden I'm the goodbye. And I'm like, hmm, interesting how that happened. But yeah, and I've always been a person who's wanted to teach and I thought, you know, a rapper and a dancer can't be a teacher. Like, that's just unheard of. And here it is. Like, I'm doing it. But I didn't get to do this by saying, I want to be a rapper, dancer, teacher. Make me a teacher. I just know. I focus on what's what am I good at teaching? Okay, study, 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 learn, 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 learn how to share, learn how to teach, teach how to teach, learn how to teach, teach how to learn, you know, like. All of the above just went on and it's all of a sudden, oh, here you go. Here's your goodbye. There you go. You know, and I'm like, wow. You know, so I want to encourage us all that these things are called naso. These are burdens that we have to bear, you know, and we also have to bear each other, you know, bearing another person's burden. Yeah, that's how you fulfill the whole Torah. When you understand fireman over there to your ice self right here, you know, like I need to go be alongside the fire over there. He's not going to harm me. I'm not going to harm him. But when a Shem needs fire, fire is ready. When a Shem needs ice, ice is ready, you know? So that's really cool about the whole Shavuel and his affection for money. And David's like, yeah, you be in charge. And then I wanted to bring down that um, Zohar Naso 4, where it says Rabbi Yitzhak and Rabbi Yehuda were traveling 
from Usha to Lod, Rabbi Yehuda said, let's discuss some Torah as we go. By the way, the best thing to do if you have a long commute, Torah. Bring up something like the letter Aleph. It's made of two yotes and a vav. What do you think? What you got? You know, what do you, what, what is Aleph? You spell Aleph backwards. It's Pela. Like wonder. Okay. You spell, you change the vowel points on Aleph. It becomes Aluf, which is 1000, which is the same gematria as Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. You know, the two Mashiachs together make the Aluf 1000, which is the Aleph. You know, just start, strike up a conversation like that. Bam. And then you're off. And then by the time you're done discussing, you're already to your destination. Anyway, Rabbi Yehuda opened the discussion with the verse. If a man shall open a pit or if a man shall dig a pit. Coming from Parsha Mishpatim, shouts out to Rebbit Zin Shlita. May she have a long and blessed life. Amen. So, uh, Shemot 2133, that's where that verse comes from. That's the Torah portion of Mishpatim. It says, the following verse says, the owner of the pit shall make it good, in verse 34. Therefore, whoever harms the world with his sins should most certainly make it good. However, I wonder, since he caused harm to the universe, why does Teshuva Help it, as it says, when a man or woman shall commit any sin, then they shall confess their sins, and he shall make restitution. Bami Bar chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. That is from Parsha Naso. Repentance and repairing of the world is a part of Naso. When we are all doing what we're called to do and what we're good at, and bearing each other through this in Shalom, like doing our thing, we're bringing healing to the world because repentance brings healing to the universe. When we sin, it's like digging a pit or a hole, piercing the universe, piercing the worlds, blemishing the names of God. But yet when we repent, it's repairing it, which obviously according to the damage is according to the repair, if not greater, because right, you, you break something. It takes a lot more effort to fix it than it does to break it which is a whole nother encouragement about why we need to really be about that stuff, you know, avenge like none other. Uh, and then I'm going to go ahead and jump. Oh, oh, wanted to bring this up because when we look at the whole repentance thing, right? That one of the ways that we're supposed to repent is like Hosea, Hosea, 1410 where it says who is wise let him discern these things who is intelligent let him know them for the ways of Adonai are straight and the just walk in them but the wicked stumble in them because the whole thing about not saving each by embrace Torah repenting confessing making shuva all that like we become a living stone and we're a stumbling block, you know, because it's like, no, you, you're a sinner. No, you're not good enough. And it's like, no, I know. I realize that's, that's why I'm here. That's why you can say these things to me because I'm, I'm here, you know, which means obviously I'm good enough because I realized I wasn't good enough. And then Hashem put me here, you know, Hashem builds up his temple with 
living stones. So, yeah, about that, right? So the commentary on this verse says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is prudent, let him know them. For the ways of Hashem are right, and the just walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. The Torah is a double-edged sword, but those who follow it innocently and sincerely will go ever forward to eternity. Okay? So you struggle with impure thoughts. Right? Okay. If you don't struggle with impure thoughts, don't say right. <laughs> okay. So if you're a person who struggles with impure thoughts, okay, it's like, all right, so not saving each my Hashem. I want to serve you. I have impure thoughts. I confess that. I want to get better at that. I want to have pure thoughts. Well, guess what? You're gonna you're gonna get pierced by the sword as you're wielding the sword. You know, towards double-edged sword. So you're like you're gonna really be striving towards righteousness, getting your thoughts uh, purified. But at the same time, your your times of having those impure thoughts is gonna hurt you. It's gonna crush. It's gonna damage things and all that kind of stuff but you're going to keep making more repair because you're holding on to the sword you're striving forward in torah you know you're literally being a person who walks in it you're like but i'm gonna keep torah i'm gonna continue to eat kosher i'm gonna continue to dive in i'm gonna continue to ask hashem for forgiveness and i'm going to continue to go forward like that's the point because what's going to happen is all of a sudden, that, that struggle is not going to be there anymore. And you're not even going to be aware of it because you're going to be so off into pure thought land that you're going to be like, I used to think impure. You know, now don't get crazy at that point. Okay, just just keep going. Don't, don't be like, where are my impure thoughts at? Because guess what? They, they hear you and they will find you. Okay, and they will put foil in your microwave. And turn it on like 10 minutes and just let it just go. You're like, ah, I thought we were done with this. It's like, what's going on? Who put foil in the microwave? Okay, like that's a thing. So, yeah, double-edged sword, totally cool. All right. Now, that it's been almost two hours, I want to do my last two sources. Thank you for sticking with me. go here to value of a pasuk okay this is a beautiful thing that uh ish Pela has hooked me up with so it goes to say the blessing of the koanim the the birkat koanim okay that's you know that bracha the birkat koanim is in parsha no so Shouts out to um, Ish Hasid and Zekemil Kama. Uh, both of them have their tour portion this week. So, wow. Get you some Naso people. Uh, Naso crazy. You know, like you guys. Mazal Tov. So anyway, um, the, the Birkat, the Blessing, which the Kohanim bestow upon B'nai Israel ends with a blessing of shalom. 
The Sifrei asserts that Shalom in this blessing is the Shalom of Torah. As it is stated, another explanation, this is the Shalom of Torah. As it says, God will give strength to his people. God will bless his people with Shalom. And then uh, Bamibar Bamibar 6, 26. Uh, on the Sifre commentary brings that down. Sifre on that on that verse it says immediately after the Torah states the blessing which the Kohenim are to bestow, it says God will indeed bless them. That pasuk says, "Vishmo et Shmi al b'nei Yisrael ve'ani avrekim." The gematria of that verse, and they shall put my name up, and they shall put my name on B'nai Israel, and I will bless them. So Hashem is like, when the Birkat Kohanim goes down, that's the priest putting my name on the children of Israel. The gematria of that verse is twenty-one thirty-six, two thousand one hundred thirty-six. Same gematria as Tehillim, Kuf. Mem Gimel, 143, verse 6, that says, I spread out my hands to you. My soul is like a weary land to you, Selah. So what do these verses have in common? Well, let's break it down. Pesikta Zutrasi, boy, that's a mouthful. Pesikta Zutrasi, that's a source says seek shalom there can be no shalom without torah as it says her ways are pleasant ways all her paths are shalom thus it can be ascertained that only torah is true shalom the midrash agada says just like the water cannot remain in a high place and only goes to a low place so Torah does not exist unless one is willing to make himself a desert. I.e., the moment you think you're all high and mighty, that's when you've lost the Torah. Because you call yourself a high place and the Torah is like, well, I can't only be in high places. I got to be in low places. So you have to see yourself low. You have to be like a desert. A desert is not pretty. I mean, parts of it is, but... I mean, this is not really where you want to settle. You don't want to really settle in the desert. The reason we could make it through the desert was because of the clouds of glory. If we didn't have the clouds, if we didn't have the rock, if we didn't have Hashem, if we didn't have the the uh, the manna, you know, if we didn't have the Mishkan, we didn't have Moshe, Aaron, Miriam, we wouldn't have made it. If If Israel would have just waltzed out of Egypt, which they couldn't, The only way we could have got out of Egypt is if Hashem brought us out. So that's saying something. But anyway, if we would have walked out of Egypt, which we couldn't have, but let's just say we did. Very absurd example. But we walked out of Egypt because you realize nobody ever left Egypt, by the way. Egypt was like, I got you. You're not leaving. Chinese finger trap. You know, anyway, um, you're in. You can't get out. Hotel California. All right. You can check out, but you can't leave. So if we would have walked into the desert without any of that stuff, we had no Torah, no Pesach, no counting the Omer, no Shabbat, none of that. 
we would have died. The desert is ruthless. Like, it is just, you ain't gonna make it. You're dead. You're dead. You're done. The, the Legends of the Jews brings down that the desert is called the awful desert. There were serpents so venomous and poisonous in the desert that if a bird flew across the shadow, no, other way around, if the serpent slithered over the shadow of a bird flying in the sky, the bird would drop dead. That's how potent it is in the desert. And again, how big are some of these serpents? They're ridiculous. Some of them even flew like pterodactyls. They were that big. You know, and not to mention just the general wild beasts that are out there. And, oh, yeah, this one thing called starving and uh, this one thing called thirst. You know, so when Mashiach went 40 days out into the wilderness, I mean, come on, man. What is that? But again, Mashiach is the totality of what we had in the wilderness. We were in Mashiach, so we were able to make it in the wilderness 40 years Mashiach was like, I'm going to show you 40 days. You know, we're going to just collapse that all down. Yeah, Mashiach is the totality of the rock, the clouds, the manna, the voice of Hashem, the Torah, the Mishkan. Like, we're bringing all this stuff in. Okay, anyway, I could go on and on about that, but I'm not. The Midrash Agata says, just like water cannot remain in a high place and only goes to a lower place, so the Torah does not exist unless one is willing to make himself a desert. This is why you not being quote unquote good enough is totally the perfect thing. If you don't feel like you're worthy for Torah, you're the perfect candidate. Nasevanishma. Thus, it can be ascertained that to master Torah, one is required to make oneself as a desert. Thus, only Torah is true shalom. And to acquire Torah, one must make oneself a desert. Placing God's name on B'nai Israel is accomplished by the Kohenim spreading out their hands to bless B'nai Israel with God's blessing of shalom. The Shulchan Aruch states, and they spread out their hands and separate their fingers and they should intend to make five air spaces. And it says the blessing of Shalom, which is the blessing of Torah and making oneself as a desert to acquire Torah are associated with 2136, which is our Gematria 2136. Our Tehillim 143 verse 6 I spread out my hands to you. My soul is like a weary land to you, Selah. A Jarash can be said on this Pasuk. That's one of the levels of study. I have the uh, Peshat, Remez, Drash, Sod, Pardes. Remember those? Okay. So the Drash level says, uh, can be said on this Pasuk, the first part of the Pasuk, the verse, the spreading out of the hands can refer to the Kohanim spreading out their hands to bless B'nai Israel. The second part, the weary land can refer to making oneself like a desert, which is necessary for the blessing of Shalom. Thus, the concepts conveyed by the Pasuk in Parsha Naso are the same concepts conveyed in the Pasuk in Sefer Tehillim and both have the same gematria. 
this is why it's no accident that the Torah was given in a desert. Because it's like, I'm going to give what can only be established in this location. Torah, true shalom, can only be brought into the desert. And I'm going to bring you out to the desert, B'nai Israel, so that you can become like this desert, so that you can bring shalom to the whole entire world. Now, final source. Apples from the orchard, gleanings from the mystical teachings of Rabbi Yitzhak Luria, the Arizal, on the weekly Torah portion. Dr. Sakal was like, this book is expensive. It's expensive. Okay, it really just like, if somebody says, I want to go out and buy apples from the orchard, just know you better be ready to pay your pay your money but anyway they put Bobby Barr and Nasso in the same commentary that is wow already oh my goodness I gotta mention this real quick Rabbi GQ because he does the whole reason why the tour portions are out of sync some of us are reading Nasso this week others are reading Beha Aloteca I uh, just want to drop this out there to everybody all right i had it pulled up but i'm gonna have to go back to my notes back to the notes to the notes to the notes 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 all right here brugasham here it is from Shabbat on May the 30th until Shabbat, July the 4th, the weekly Torah readings in Israel and the diaspora communities will be out of sync. This is because the first day of Shabbat occurs on Friday, May 29th. Thus, in the diaspora, the second day of the festival of Shabbat is going to be on May 30th. So, in Israel, they went ahead and did Naso this past Shabbat. We didn't. We hung out in uh, Shabbat La La Land. <laughs> so anyway, so that's what's going on. So in Israel, the festivals, uh, where the festival is observed for one day only, Shabbat was just on Friday. The Torah reading on Shabbat May 30th continues the regular weekly cycle on the Parshat Naso. So the diaspora uh, will not be read until June the 6th when communities in Israel will be a week ahead and they'll be reading Beha Aloteca. So that's the first thing. And then the giving of the Torah and why Shavuot is always read with Naso. Um, where is that at? There's a relationship there. here it is the giving of the Torah and the inauguration of the sanctuary he says as noted earlier Naso is always read on the Shabbat after Shabbat anniversary of the giving of the Torah clearly there is a deep link between the giving of the Torah and the inauguration of the sanctuary temple because how does Parashat Naso end it ends with all the tribes bringing their offerings right 
the princes of the tribes. And it says, and associated commandments. And so which is the theme of the greater part of Naso on this, one of the longest Shabbats of at the height of the summer, when the world is in full bloom around us, the Torah keeps our minds focused on the first of Nisan, the new year, the time of rebirth, the day of the consecration of the sanctuary. So Naso is really Parsha Shemini is really the beginning of the month of Nisan. Because from Nisan 1 to Nisan 12, everything that goes down with each prince of the tribes bringing their offerings, that's when that occurred. So we're looking at the Mishkan is just now established. The death of Nadav and Avihu just happened. Now we're bringing all the tribe, the prince tribe, princes of the tribes, Corbinot. And, you know, we just received the giving of the Torah as well. So, like, what's going on? So it says, on the day the sanctuary was consecrated, the Torah descended from Mount Sinai with its awe. On the day the sanctuary was consecrated, first of Nisan now, the Torah descended from Sinai with its awe, thunder, lightning, earthquakes, and was brought in the golden ark of the covenant under the wings of the Keruvim into the ultimate serene tranquility of the Holy of Holies. So yes, what this is saying right now is that the 6th of Sivan and the 1st of Nisan like merged and became one day. After the 14th of Nisan through the counting of the Omer and the month of ER and all that. So that's a what in the world just happened kind of moment. Just know that though. So when the Mishkan was consecrated, that's when the Torah was given. So that's crazy because if you look at chronological stuff, that's way out of order. But again, the Torah is not about that chronology life, but the Greeks are and the Romans are. That's why they think the Torah was done away with at a certain point in time. But Hashem's timeline is not chronological. That's why Hashem's name literally means he was, he is, and he is to come. That's why the prophecies are the same way, which is why when people look at Revelation and try to track, okay, when did this happen? When is this going to happen? It's like, no, it's, it's happened. It's happening and it's to happen. So anyway. A little drop on prophecy. This was the vision of Yaakov, the founding father who built the house of Israel, that the Torah should come down from its lofty heights and dwell inside the sanctuary, not only in the actual external sanctuary, but in the home of every Israelite, which are Jews, and the heart of or uh, in the heart of every Israelite, when the t- when we bring Torah into our homes and our hearts, it becomes a vessel of shalom and blessing that radiates light all around us. Just as the blessing of the priests radiates from the sanctuary, and today during the priestly blessing in the, in the synagogue, from before the ark housing the Torah scrolls, Madden, I bless you and keep you. Dot 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 dot. For the to- for the study of Torah itself confers blessing. 
The entire Torah is woven is woven of the names of God, and in every place where I shall cause my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. Shemot twenty, verse twenty one. So just want to throw out there that Naso and Shavuot are intricately connected because of that. We're a week behind on Parashot out here in the diaspora. But we'll catch up on uh, July the 4th. So may the 4th be with you. Until then. Side note, that is the anniversary of Rabbi and Rebbe Zine Griffin. So, Baruch Hashem, may they be blessed. That's beautiful. Alright, so we'll celebrate their anniversary by bringing the Diaspora and Israel uh, back into the sink on the reading schedules. Alright, so let's see what we can do here with... uh, with apples from the orchard. I kind of have a feeling I want to just go ahead and speak to the Levite thing. Because I just feel like that that would be great. There are a lot of pages on this. Oh, here we got we got Naso. Let's go ahead and do Naso. What do we want to talk about? We want to talk about sexuality and the suspicious spirit. Because Sota is another big part of this parasha. I don't feel like talking about that today because that's kind of a lot of stuff that's really weird. I mean, it's it's okay. It's Torah. It's just that escalates pretty quickly. So let's let's go with uh, got the Nazarite vow there. I guess we're gonna be talking about the Nazarite. Okay. You know what? I'm convicted. I got. We're gonna just talk about the sexuality. Might as well. We mentioned impure thoughts earlier. Let's handle up on that business right now. Okay. Bami Bar, chapter 5, verses 11 through 17. Apples from the orchard. So, uh, I have not read this, so disclaimer is already thrown out there. So, uh, hang on to something. But this is called Sexuality and the Suspicious Spirit. God spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the Israelites and say to them, this is what should be done. Should any man's wife stray and be unfaithful to him and a man lie with her carnally unbeknownst to her husband and she was secluded and defiled, but there was no witness against her and she was not seized. If a spirit of jealousy had come upon the husband and he had warned his wife, and she was defiled. Or a spirit of jealousy had come upon him, and he had warned his wife, and she was not defiled. Then the man shall bring his wife to the Kohen, and bring her offering for her, one-tenth of an ephah of barley flour, like the omer that we counted. He shall neither pour oil over it nor put frankincense on it for it is a grain offering of jealousies a grain offering of remembrance recalling iniquity the priest shall bring her forth and present her before god the priest shall put holy water there's where your holy water comes from people have taken that now and made it this whole catholic thing it's like well holy water was in the mishkan so that's that's interesting Put holy water in an earthen vessel 
And then, or and the priests shall take some of the earth from the tabernacle floor and put it into the water. And that's the end of the passage. So it's pulling Peshat. Now we're about to go crazy. Here we go. These are the laws of the suspected adulteress, a.k.a. the Sota. The word translated above as jealousy is Kina. And the one who translated as had warned, which is Kine. So the one who warns, which is like the little jealous husband here, says that that's called Kine. The Kine has Kina for the Sota. All right. So Kine has Kina for the Sota. They are from the same root. So Kina, jealousy, and the one who warns, Kine, has the same root. Sota is a completely different root. Be interesting to look that up, but we've maxed out on time, so I'm not going to look at that. But if a spirit of jealousy had come upon him and he had expressed his jealousy to his wife by warning her not to be secluded with the other man. See, this is why the woman caught in adultery was like such a whole night, not a go. Because number one, her husband was supposed to have warned her and then he was the one who was supposed to bring her and, you know, it was supposed to have the two witnesses come with him. And they're actually supposed to go to Cohen Gadol, not to Yeshua. Even though Yeshua is the Cohen Gadol. But if they really wanted to do that, they would have, like, done that. But I get it that the Cohen Gadol was really a Roman paid position at this point. And furthermore, if you read the sources, the Sota was done away with. It was discontinued because of the immorality of Israel. Again, so Torah's never done away with, but we nullify Torah with our Torah breaking. So a lot of the reasons why we don't get to do a lot of the mitzvot in the Torah is because we, we violated those mitzvot. So Hashem's like, okay, well, you take the mitzvot down, I'll take them down. Like the whole Ten Commandments being taken down from the courtroom. They're taken down because we took them down. People stopped keeping the Shabbat. People stopped caring about having graven images, you know, because crosses are everywhere. Crosses are graven images. If you don't think they are, why do people bow down to the cross and make songs about it? You know, and again, Nimrod's pole, people say, oh, Xmas tree, oh, Xmas tree, and they start singing to it. Yeah. All graven images. So, Lakute Torah and Sefer Halikutim, Parshad Naso, our sages said that a man only warns his wife if a spirit of purity enters into him from Shemaim. That's from Tractate Sota 3a. So, what we have here, this is not just some random Joe Schmo over here just going, Girl, I'm jealous. We're going to see the priest. It's like, no, there's. A lot of righteousness going on here. You know, all sorts of precedents galore. So what can we learn from this, though? If everything was done as according to the way it should have been done and not the the way our, our Greco-Roman exile minds want to think? It says, this is based on the idiom, a spirit of jealousy had come up on him, which is really a spirit of purity, according to Sota 3a. It is considered commendable for a man to warn his wife not to be secluded with another man if he senses that she's becoming overly frivolous or flirtatious. 
like, girl, you, you're a little riled up over there, so I need you to not be alone with him. We have seen previously how the feminine principle of reality can lose track of its purpose and misdirect its energies in the course of going about the business of expressing divinity and the world. And that is the male principle's role to re-inspire her with purity of intention his abstract orientation provides. So, everything just escalated quickly because now we're not actually talking about a husband and a wife. We're actually talking about ourselves. That there's a feminine aspect to us that gets caught up into the course of life, this reality. You know, like going to work and, you know, having ambitions and goals that we want to achieve, climb the corporate ladder or whatever, attain degrees or, you know, get careers and, uh, you know, get ahead and, and like make a living for yourself, you know, all this kind of stuff that we can easily lose track if the masculine aspect of ourself that keeps the intention of this abstract orientation channeled. In other words, the feminine part of us can be so caught up in our work that we can forget to stop for Shabbat. But the masculine part is like, nope, Shabbat's coming. Stop. Light the candles. Let's do Shabbat. Boom. You know, and so we have to keep we have to keep a balance on ourselves. We it's good to it's good to work. It's good to go for your goals and all that but we can't forget how we're supposed to be bringing divinity into the world and that we have torah to uphold so it says the sages disapprove of a husband who is uninterested in the moral purity of his family beginning with his wife so it's not good if you are uninterested in the moral purity of your family you're like, eh, whatever, do what you want to do. It's like, well, that's not good. To be sure, a husband can delude himself into thinking and and being an overbearing, okay? So you can delude yourself into being and, and thinking and become overbearing. And it says, or unreasonable suspicion, Okay. So a husband can delude himself into thinking in overbearing manner or unreasonable suspicion is a spirit of purity. So you'd be like, yes, this is righteous. It's like, well, I don't know. It's a little overbearing. It's a little unreasonable. Let's think about this for a second. There is therefore an opinion in the Talmud that the spirit that enters into the husband causing him to warn his wife is in fact a spirit of impurity the sages, therefore, advise the husbands to assume their wives are innocent of any wrongdoing unless they have clear justification to suspect otherwise. Yerushalayim uh, Kiddushin 4.4 Even if the husband is convinced that there is cause for concern, he must first appeal to his wife privately to improve her behavior. Mishneh Torah, Sota 419. If this does not work, he may proceed with the ritual if he is sure 
that his motivations are pure, which is always kind of hard. It's like when you got to rebuke somebody. It's like, are you sure you got pure intentions before you go out rebuking people? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm ready. I'm ready to rebuke somebody. It's like, well, do you got anything you need to be rebuked about? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to go. No, no, you're, you're fail. Just throw the case out. Now you can see where there were stones that got dropped at the uh, the makeshift trial that they brought this woman caught in adultery to Mashiach. You know, he's up here teaching. They interrupt class and they're like, Master, what do you say? She's caught in adultery. We're going to stone her. All you got was silence. And he's like, well, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Let's do this. You got to think about the risk that is. Mashiach's like, yeah, okay, we can stone her. But if you don't, if you're sinless in this, then uh, go ahead. Obviously, these people were super smart. They knew something about the oral Torah. It's like, yeah, apparently we failed. So, yeah, this woman, yeah. Mm. Yeah, see, this is the whole thing and why we can't get upset with Adam and Hava for eating the fruit from the tree because if we really think about it, we would have done the same thing. Because how many times do we go, did God really say? There's a big system of theology that exists in the world that says, did God really say we need to keep the Shabbat? I mean, really? Do we really need to celebrate Pesach? Do we really need to eat kosher? Do we really need to separate meat and dairy? I mean, really? Do we? Do I really have to do this one mitzvah that I struggle with? Like, do I really? It's right here. It's all in apples from the orchard. So, it says, if this does not work, he may... Uh, proceed to the ritual if he is sure his motivations are pure he must not invoke the right in jest and anger or in order to frighten her wow so you think about that for a second how did this sota thing even happen it's like the the husband had to be completely pure completely innocent in his intention he had to previously have warned her about a specific person you know, it's like he, he got to make sure he's not angry about it. He can't frighten her. He can't be jesting about it. Like, wow. Like, this is ridiculous. Anyway, that is from Mishneh Torah, Sota 418. Goes on to say, furthermore, the right only works if the husband himself is not guilty of adultery. Boom. Okay. No that Yosef manifested Yesod. Okay, we're about to go like completely blue screen. Let's look at the Sephirot. There's a Sephirot called Yesod, foundation, bonding, as we learned from the uh, Omer. So Yosef manifested this Sephirot of Yesod, and that his numerical value is the same as that of Zion. So Yosef has the same gematria as Zion. So now we're looking at Yosef, we're looking at Zion, which is also Yesod, bonding, foundation, which signifies the Yesod of Malkut. Okay, so remember how each Sephira is composed of the other Sephiras? Okay, so now 
Go to the Sefer of Malkut, and inside of Malkut there is a Yesod. So inside of Malkut is the Yesod, which is Zion, and that's Yosef. Okay, so now they're saying Yosef manifests Yesod, the male principle, which enters this Zion. Now, Yesod is directly above Malkut. There's a Yesod inside Malkut. So technically, Yosef and Zion are Yesod, and then inside of Malkut is actually Yosef and Zion. But they want to focus on saying Yosef is Mal is uh, Yesod, and we're going to look at the Yesod of Malkut, which is Zion. So Yosef is going to be connecting to Zion, which is going to connect. Ultimately, if you zoom out of Malkut, come out of Yesod of Malkut, and just say Malkut because Yesod's in there. So Yesod and Malkut together now, okay? Those two. So they're saying Yosef is associated with Yesod. Because he exhibited sexual purity in the incident with Potiphar's wife. That is from Bereshit 39, 7 through 20. Yesod is associated anatomically with the male sexual organ. So Yosef, Yod Vav Samik Fe, that's how you spell Yosef, is 156. Zion, spelled Zadi Yod Vav Noon is 156. The word for Zion means point, sign, and designation. It is also an appellation for, an acronym, for the Holy Land. The Holy Land is the location designated for the revelation of God's presence. So when you're thinking Zion, you need to be thinking about the Holy Land. All right. There's a interesting little light that's going on and off in here. I'm lifting up the book and it's like, hmm, light. Put the book down, no light. Interesting. So I'm just background stuff. All right. Zion, Holy Land, right? Okay. The location designated for God's revelation of his presence. Specifically, Zion refers to the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is called Zion, which is the same gematria as Yosef. Okay, so that's happening right now. Then it says, we have seen previously that, or we've seen previously how the Holy of Holies is considered the bridal chamber, where the marital union of God and the Jewish people take place. Zion, therefore, specifically refers to the female sexual organ, or the womb of the world, where reality is impregnated with divine consciousness and from which new divine consciousness is born and spreads throughout the world. 156, the Gematria of Yosef and Zion, is also three times the numerical value of 52. 52 being the name of Hashem called Bet Noon, 52, which is actually the gematria of sun. So Ben, 
which is the word for sun, is has the gematria of 52. So Ben times three equals 156. It's also known as Shem Ban. Okay. Referring to the three names of Hashem spelled out to equal this number. That are given from the Yesod of Zeranpin to the Yesod of Nukva. So, remember how we said the masculine and the feminine side of our beings? So that's the same thing. Zeranpin has a feminine side which is called Nukva. This is why the numerical value of both Yosef and Zion, or you can say Yosef, Zeranpin, Zion is Nukva. Both counterparts to each other, both 156. It says, so you can say that both Yosef and Zion is three times 52, as mentioned in connection with our exposition of Psalm 25, which begins, Unto you, O God, I lift up my soul. As it is explained there, these three 52 names are manifestations of the Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. So, these na- these names of 52, so we have the three names of Hashem, like Hashem, Adonai, Eye, right? So, those three names are manifestations of Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. Psalm 25 is recited in the daily liturgy as part of the Taknun, the falling down penitential prayer says the penitential prayers that we recite after the climax of prayers in the Amidah, after achieving total self-effacement and union with Hashem in the Amidah, we become acutely aware of our shortcomings. Man, this just goes right back. Like we receive the Torah, right? We say, Hashem, I accept your Torah. It's like, boom, here's your failure. It's like, wow, yeah, I'm guilty of that. I want to fix it. You know, as opposed to being like Yishmael, Esau or Moab. What's the Torah say? Oh no, we can't do that. I'll do everything else. I just can't do that. To what is called a Christian, by the way. A Christian's like, yeah, I'll do most of the word of God, just not all of it. So anyway, it's important to note. Says, so after we achieve total effacement, complete union with the Shem, that's the Amidah. It's like, bam, let's do the Taknun now. Because Psalm 25 expresses remorse for sin and rededication to God. We rededicate ourselves mystically by elevating our consciousness out of the world of Asiya, which is the lower world here, and up through the three worlds into the world of Adzilut, the highest of the worlds. By doing this, we arouse God to forgive us, thus the... Thus, the elevation of consciousness through the three worlds creates three forms of arousal signified by the three, the Shemban, the three names of Hashem that are 52. The three worlds of Berea, Yetzira, and Asiya relate to the three aspects of the Nefesh, Ruach, and the Shaman, three levels of soul, which manifest the three garments of the soul, our intellect, our emotion, and our action. So, those all correspond to names of Hashem. They all correspond to three worlds. And that's the three parts of our soul, which are our garments. 
Then it says sick significantly the sin mentioned the sin mentioned explicitly in Psalm twenty five is in verse in the verse recall not the sins and transgressions of my youth. These refer to sexual sins. Thus the psalm we recite in order to arouse God to restore our sexual purity is connected to the theme of sexual purity alluded to in the names of Yosef and Zion. The fact that the numerical value of Yosef is 156 alludes to the following mystical principle I've taught you. There are five states of Chesed, five states of Gevura that descend from Ima, which is Bina, understanding, into Zeranpin, which again, we talked about Zeranpin being like um, a manifestation here of the Sephirot, literally Zerampin is called the miniature presence, says, which are manifest as the ten names of Hashem. So, Hashem has a lot of names. Says the five states of Gevura descend into Malkut of Zerampin, while the five states of Chesed descend into the five sub-Sephirot from Chesed to Hod. All of these five issue to Nukva via Yesod of Zeranpin. Yesod, however, has its own name of Hashem. Thus, there are in Yesod five names, or there are in Yesod five name Hashems, so five of Hashem's names there, manifesting themselves, uh, manifesting the five states of Chesed that enter into Zeranpin, and one of its own giving it six. So the name of Hashem, by the way, has a gematria of 26. So we're looking at 26 times five. So all of this saying, we got Chokmah and we got Bina, which is Abba and Ima. Chokmah is Abba, Bina is Ima, masculine and feminine. So we're saying we're going to bring down the Chesed, okay, into uh we're going to bring that down into Yesod and then we're going to have the one for Yesod itself so this is absolutely crazy I I get it <laughs> but anyway their combined numerical value is 156 because the numerical value of Hashem which is 26 times 6 is actually 152 we are almost there we're going to tie this up though. 156 is also the numerical value of the word for jealousy, which is kina. Kina is kuf, noon, aleph, hey. That equals 156. Hence, we have a direct connection between the sephira of yesod, i.e., sexuality, and the idea of righteous jealousy. This explains what is written in the Zohar about yesod. Then a righteous one dones jealousy. This passage, oh, by the way, that was Zohar 2, 2.11a. And it says, this express, or this passage of the Zohar describes what happens when righteous people pass away. Their souls ascend and enter Malkut, which adorns itself with the sparks of holiness these souls have elevated in their lifetime and brought with them. Side note, what can you take away from this world? nothing physically 
but so much spiritually, namely your talents and your gifts, you get to bring those with you and the souls that you've elevated, all the divine sparks that you've gathered. So you get to elevate those things. It says, so you sowed, seeing how beautiful Malkut has become by adorning herself with these good deeds is aroused to couple with it. The term the Zohar uses for Yesod in this context is a righteous one, i.e. azotic. Righteousness is particularly associated with Yesod because the main test of righteousness is in sexual behavior. Thus, Yosef, the archetype of sexual purity, is traditionally called Yosef Hazotic, or Yosef the Righteous. The term the Zohar uses to describe Yesod's arousal to couple with Malkut is donning jealousy. Jealousy is typically experienced psychologically or physiology. Yeah, physiologically, physiologically, by increased adrenaline flow and body heat, and similar to sexual arousal. Until now, we have seen that the jealousy of Yisod is its insistence on purity and sexual behavior beyond this there is a deeper connection alluded to between jealousy and sexuality let us first note in english jealousy implies zealousness and in fact zealous could be better translation of kina than jealous we have defined the experience of Yesod as the drive for self-actualization and for the promulgation of insight of divine consciousness to which one has been privy. In this light, holy sexuality is an expression of a person's passion for transmitting his personal vision of divine reality into the world, either in the form of children that will be imbued with his values or metaphysical divine energy that will have a positive influence on reality, which we are taught is one result of marital relations conducted with love and proper intentions. Thus, holy, as opposed to mere bestial, sexual passion is an expression of zeal and dedication. This perhaps explains why the Zohar here says, in order to couple with Malkut, Yesod dons jealousy and zeal, which is actually, yeah, zealous zealousness it's like i want to actualize this this then is the mystical saying of the saying a man only warns his wife if a spirit of purity enters into him for this spirit originates from his holy side the side of supernal sephira of yesod identified with yosef thus the spirit of jealousy or shall we say zealousness is the ideal of pure sexuality associated with Yosef and Yesod. The spirit of Yosef is manifest as its numerical correlate, kina, jealousy, zealousness, that inspires a husband to warn his flirtatious wife not to seclude herself with her suspected paramour. And again, we go back to saying we need to be mindful of what are we carried away in that drives us away from Hashem or what are we overbearing in? Like I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, you think you're better than other people. You think other people are not meeting your expectations. So what's wrong with you? You're, you're done. That's enough. You're I'm out kind of thing. 
you're either overbearing or you're like just you know carried away and and negligent stuff so there's a balance obviously so that represents what this whole drop is about kina and yesod which is yosef and all that so it says interestingly the seminal episode of jealousy in the torah is that of pincus who was incensed over the sexual sins of Zimri and Cosby. Here too we find a link between zeal and sexuality. So what are we supposed to really take away from that? Other than the ridiculous deepness of, of all this. That it's really about. You know again what are we what are we supposed to accomplish and when we want to accomplish these things that we do them full devotion to Hashem and that which we're accomplishing how we're accomplishing it that that's really the 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 focus like are we overbearing in how we do it or are we just completely carried away and it's just like you're you're off into the weeds you're the focus is off it's just like we don't even know what we're talking about anymore like some people who uh who want to say that we need to do better halakhically or you know get more stringent and all that kind of stuff if you're not understanding why you're stringent why you're needing to adjust the halakha then you know we need to pull back and get some balance or if you're like it's only this this is how it's supposed to be and it shouldn't be anything else and it's like okay we need to pull back you know so that goes on in ourself so really when we're looking at the sota uh episode aparsha naso it's really about imbalance within ourselves and how how we're supposed to actually repair that so and again the the whole coupling of that it, i mean it's really like working hand in hand with your yetsahara you know that your yetsahara you know it it's it's out there doing stuff and you're like hey we need to talk <laughs> like we're supposed to be together in this and you know because Hashem gave us our yetsahara so that we can accomplish things you know like being fruitful and multiplying going to work you know making the world a better place yeah our yetsahara literally is supposed to help us do that but if our yetsahara has no focus or it's way too overbearing then obviously we won't be able to accomplish that. But if you're you're devoted to Torah, Torah comes first. We're all in this together. Osei Shalom, being Ramav. Fire is going to do what fire does. Ice is going to do what ice does. But we don't harm each other. That's that's the picture. So you use your Yetahara to do the Shema. So that that energy and that primal passion that you have, you channel it in fulfilling the torah there are so many ways to fulfill torah so many different roles that each of us can have because we're a body of many members the arm doesn't get upset with the foot the foot can't get upset with the shoulder you know your body is going to be out of whack if if one of your limbs is hurt and your whole body is affected by it so therefore if your body works together you have a healthy body your body can accomplish what it needs to accomplish which means we can bring the Mashiach, we can manifest the Mashiach 
in our lifetime and in our days should we all unify as a body and we all do what we're supposed to do if you're a hand be a hand if you're a leg be a leg but don't kick hands don't kick some don't kick you know your other foot you know and all that kind of stuff don't kick other people either while we're talking about kicking all right so let us all be lapid legion let's go forth let's bear our burdens and let us bring mashiach and pray to hakadosh baruku to bring mashiach now Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha-Torah.